This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, it's just interesting how you picked up. Are you on a phone? Oh, can you hear? No, I'm on my headset. Oh, 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 okay. But like, I, I, uh, I my, like, like the headset, like you know, kind of like speaker stick was like up, so I just like uh, moved it down towards my mouth. Okay. Just, you just, it's just like you, you <laughs> greet me as, as as I left you last night. Just like laughing. I know. Why do you think the pages were sticky? Uh, let's not answer. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early on a Sunday morning for this kind of travesty. Oh man. Well, hello. Good to good to hear your voice. Oh, it's good to hear. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you, you didn't last night. It's, it's good to hear your voice, too. You came in louder. And seriously, I was like swimming around. I was like, all right, where do I go? And then I hear. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. It was I was trying not to like distract, but it's when I just kept you shoving Ellie. And then Ellie said, like, yeah, take all day. I love being on this. I was like, oh, my gosh. That's the commentary right there. Oh gosh, that was great. That was. I'm great. glad you enjoyed that. If you weren't on there, I would really like just, I'd just like, go online. I was like, okay, where do I go? <laughs> oh yeah, it all worked out for the best. Yeah, that was oh, fun, man. Oh, uh, but it stunk because I just needed like five more minutes to be with you when that cutscene happened because I knew it was going to yeah. happen. It was so close. Oh boy, How, yeah. How'd you feel when all that went down? Uh, I like the moment at the end of the uh, the sniper part where you see them getting attacked, and like Sam, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was, I was like, yeah, he's not fine. And I didn't. I actually, I actually didn't didn't like click on this until like you know after like after you know after I turned the game off, where like he was talking to Ellie about um uh you know oh do you think these zombies have souls and stuff yeah. and like oh I see what they did there, but I, I kind of figured he was going to get like bitten, um but I didn't see like the immediate like Henry just like shooting himself. I was like I was like not that it wasn't like. A complete surprise, but it was just like, y'all, that, that all happened very quickly. Yeah. And especially because the conversations before, you know, like they were actually having a pretty nice time with the exception of Sam. Because yes. Sam knew what was going to happen, but just like every, it was just like this wonderful moment in the midst of all this terrible stuff that they had just been through. And then for it to just tank right off the bat or right after that was, yeah, hard. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 th- this game is it's very well written because I like how it's like, well, the way that they write, they write the characters, it's just when you think that, like, you start to think of other things, it's like, you know, things just kind of snap back. And I thought that was really uh, well done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. See? Harold and I wouldn't have made, <laughs> made you do this if, you know, there weren't a good reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. You guys always have uh, have, have reasons. Whether I, I agree with them. I don't, I don't think Harry showed me anything that I've not liked yet. And your, your, your only ding is, like, uh, uh, irregular high school. But like that was like years ago, so it almost doesn't count. Oh boy! Uh, well, what about old boy? Isn't that what it's called? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, well, that's like, <laughs> I, I, I like that, but like, I guess I don't like that I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just trying to see if there's a dig against Harry. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Shake it up, I like it dirty Tequila for my friend, it makes her flirty Trust me, I'm the instigator of underwear Showing up here and there, uh-oh I'm always on a mission from the get-go So what if it's only one o'clock in the afternoon It's never too soon to send out all the invitations to Salwete, Mihi Nomen Est, Stella, Ed Hoc Est, Backworld Oracle, The Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 190 for April MMXX. And this is the second episode in the pandemic world that we are currently living in. Backworld Oracle is brought to you by. Tell me his name again. Thanos. I think I shall call him. Adam. But return to me again empty-handed, and I will bathe the starways in your blood. Thanks, Dad. Sounds fair. Korvac's power grows, as does his madness. He would have destroyed us all, had I not pulled us into the soul gem. Then, Thanos, I'm coming for you. After Xandar, you were going to kill my father? You dare to oppose me? You see what he has turned me into? You kill him, I will help you destroy a thousand planets. It's all right, Adam. We're here to help. Just stay cool. Uh, I don't want to be here! Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Five years and going strong. Every other week mostly. For all of your Adam Warlock, Thanos, or Marvel Cosmic needs, find it on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available. 
resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Adam Warlock, you cannot keep leaving your philosophy books open on the floor. I always trip on them in the middle of the night on my way to the can. Backroll the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out Mile High comics.com and i do know that mile high comics is currently not doing a new issue comics express given the whole diamond situation but i do believe you can still get trade paperbacks and uh vintage issues as well uh but yeah i remember getting an email which is a whole thing yeah we can talk about that after our break we can talk about kind of the current comic world but with me today i should have actually looked this up before i started the call but probably maybe 400 miles away from me so we are practicing proper social distancing uh he made it people he made it as he said he's at the doghouse so with me today is my good friend donovan morgan grant they said it couldn't be done you said it couldn't be done but i don't did it Man alive. Well, it it only took, I mean, the literal fire that I lit under your butt, of course, was this storyline that we're going to, to cover. So I think if it were anything else, you wouldn't have been as uh, nervous for losing your seat on the show. Yeah, that's true. If it was like, I don't know, Emperor Joker or, or something like that, I'd been like, <laughs> man, you, you, you can bring in Shaq for that. <laughs> Oh, but here you are. Yeah, so Donovan, he has not beaten the game, but Harold and I discussed what would be a fair place for him to get to. And about halfway through is getting to Tommy's Dam, which this means nothing to anyone who's not played the game. So I thought this will be that'll be a good spot for him. And last I checked in on him and he makes me nervous. Donovan does because I check his I'm not a stalker, but I check how often he's online (laughs) to see and, you know, saw those days tick up. But he was making his way. I knew he was in Pittsburgh. And then, oh, Miracle of Miracles, he was on last night. I had just watched the latest episode of The Clone Wars and checked in to see if he was there. And he was playing, and so I thought, I should ask if I can watch him play. And then hilarity ensued. It was actually, it literally made my night. I just had such a fun time. You wouldn't think watching someone play it play a game on you know distantly would be a lot of fun but it actually really was and i had my headset and mic so i could talk to him but it was one-sided so i could also if i wanted to laugh uncontrollably which did happen but only for the first five minutes (laughs) oh come on no he laughed like every five minutes i don't think that was true but he yeah he was pushing ellie around on a pallet in the sewers and he was trying to put her places that she didn't want to go and uh after i controlled myself i did help him get out of that situation but no it was fun it i mean i want to tell you about this guy's play style because it's like it's like balls to the wall, man. I mean, he's using his bare fists to take down clickers. He runs down the middle of the street when there's a sniper shooting at him. I mean, it's an unconventional playing style, but he gets stuff done. So I was very proud of Donovan and how he played. 
Oh, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I had no choice. Like, like, because uh, I um, so, sometimes, cause sometimes when I do go days without playing, like some of the controls can kind of like feel yeah. a little foreign to me. Not so much last night, but like um, when the clickers show up, I get, I get a little desperate and just like I'm like, get off of me. And so. <laughs> yeah, good thing you've got yeah shiv handy. Uh, it's always good to have one or two of those. How is it playing? Because I haven't. I was waiting to play until The Last of Us Two was about to be released. I was going to replay it, um, but watching you has uh, sparked a desire to play it sooner because Last of Us Two is now indefinitely delayed. Uh, which is really I'm disappointing. Very sorry about that. Yeah, but what what does it feel like playing it now? Because you actually started before uh, the coronavirus outbreak. I mean, it was there obviously, but before it got to, to the point where it is now, versus playing it now. I mean, has anything shifted for you? Because it's less fantasy. And I'll talk about me playing Resident Evil. Uh, but did you do you feel like anything like oh, this is a bit actually uncomfortable now playing this game? Well, I mean, uh, I, I say I don't, I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to like you know talk about this. I really, I really just don't know, and I'm not trying to like hint or imply anything. I don't know when next I'll talk about this on a recorded audio. Um, this is not my. This is not the usual game that I would play. Uh, I'm not a zombie guy, and I'm not really. I don't think I've ever played like like from getting to end like a survival horror game. Like I've not played the Silent Hills and stuff. I've seen people play it, but I've not like done myself. The closest. I will say the, the closest uh, relative in terms of gameplay that this has for me is Metal Gear Solid, which has incorporate it incorporates a lot of stealth uh, tactics. It incorporates a lot of like you know uh, tactical fighting and using tools and, and utilizing weapons and stuff. And so I can kind of connect to it on that end. But in terms of like the virus element, when we when when I start seeing things like oh there's um oh there's a fake background you know oh yeah people used to take pictures in front of it oh there's an ice cream truck you know people used to like deliver ice cream oh here's a picture of a model you know people used to not eat so they get skinny and I'm like <laughs> this better not be us from a year from now <laughs> that would be a little too real because like it was this and the Batman story contagion are the two things I was a little mm. hesitant to visit in the last couple of weeks and I'm I'm going to read that just to read it but like. We had an episode of Q&A about what's been going on, and that was what I wanted to put across is that in all of these sort of fictional doomsday virus scenario stories, you don't ever see this, the, the precipitation of the loss of, of daily life and how, and how it kind of starts from one end to another in terms of like, you know, the stakes are lower than the stakes are higher. That being entertainment. Like there was that day where I remember I was at work and I get got continuous news notifications about the uh, March Madness is canceled, the NBA is, yeah. is canceled, and then Disneyland is closed, and it was just that was actually pretty frightening in the few moments that that happened. And so, kind of considering like the worst case scenario in terms of like The Last of Us, where they're literally walking around with guns killing people, yeah. I'm just like. When the game starts off, you, you, uh, someone's watching television, and they don't have television mm. in the main section of the story. And to me, it's like, well, I mean, uh, gosh, like you, you just start to wonder like what it was like for them and how far we are from there. And realistically, we're not anywhere near them because I don't believe anyone's killed anybody in fear of this virus as of yet. I mean, in terms of the world, let alone America, but – you know, I think a lot of us genre fans and nerds would kind of like consider. That. I mean, because I, I was joking to, well, all of us were joking at the bookstore before they closed that um, a year from now we're we'll seeing a lot of manuscripts about like you know this kind of scenario, like doomsday mm -hmm. settings and stuff. And so you just kind of wonder, like you know, 
how far are we from the end? Like, the, episode, the name of our episode on Kino was called uh, When Do We Know We're in a Post-Apocalypse? And Because uh, uh, so many things have been happening that's not happened in the modern world. Like the Spanish flu doesn't doesn't count because I was like over a century ago. So it, you have, you have to wonder when the end game is of this. And uh, although I will, I'll admit, when I'm playing the game, I don't think about the coronavirus. I just think of, all right, where do I go? Where do I go? You know, am I being surrounded? And, and I'm often listening with my daredevil radar vision to yeah. uh, what's the other end of the corner. Well, uh, yeah, I, I I agree. Yeah, with all of that, I think it's interesting how a lot of the literature or even this is less fantasy. Uh, I mean, it's not extreme, of course, but just to like view now with what's going on, like, oh, this is a little more uncomfortable than it would have normally, and it would have been, you know, normally. And Harold and I had talked about. I wonder if Last of Us Two is delayed because of you know optics, like they maybe didn't want it to come out in this particular circumstance. And I did listen to an interview with Neil Druckmann, who's the creative director on it. And he didn't mention any of that. It of course, of course, coronavirus affected them in the sense that all these game designers and uh, work can't work together. And so that's harder to, to get stuff done, but they're like at the one yard line. And uh, I think it was just more of a, we want to have this pristine product ready for you and circumstances are just kind of preventing that because I thought, you know, well, all these people are really wanting this game. They're so excited for it. They've been waiting for it for so long that there's also the idea of bringing joy or happiness uh, cuz I know those are two different things to people like that are having a tough time potentially. So it's it's one of those uh tough things, but it's interesting. I hope certainly that we don't get to, you know, get to that uh place in the world where you ask, oh, what what was that? What was, oh, was the ice cream truck is the, the part that I watched with you as you played last night of um, Joel explaining to Ellie what an ice cream truck was, which was really interesting. As the world zoomed around me. <laughs> I know. The, <laughs> that was so crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I genuinely never thought that, like, they, they delayed it for, like, optics reasons. Yeah. Uh, like, when Krasansky tweeted that, like, uh, uh, um, Oh, what's this movie called? Um, oh, Quiet Place Two have been delayed indefinitely. I knew it was partly because of like the virus, and partly because maybe it's the wrong place, wrong time. Whereas with yeah. this game, I just imagine okay, maybe they can't get the studio. But like, oh, I, I, I didn't think that like maybe it was because of like you know just it would hit you close to home. So that's mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, who knows? In their letter, they didn't mention any of that, but, you know, it, it could certainly be true of that. I've been playing Resident Evil 2 Remake, and like you, yeah, so survival horror games are not my not my thing. I've, I only played The Last of Us because, when I first got it, because I trust in and really love Naughty Dog ever since they did the original Crash Bandicoot stuff. And so oh, I yes. thought, I'll give this a shot. And uh, I'm glad I did. It did make me extremely nervous. But the story, I think it, it's bigger than just being survival horror. Uh, it's certainly a story about these uh, two characters and their relationship between each other. And Resident Evil, it 
seemed like a fun game, and I thought, I'll give it a shot. And thanks to my nephew for giving me a gift card for PlayStation over Christmas, and I got it on sale. And it is a bit more survival horror, and even though I played it four times, I just finished the fourth and final time uh, this morning, actually. It's still, there are still moments that uh, things happened that startled me. So, and I can only play those games when it's daylight out or if the lights are on. Um, but still, you know, Raccoon City is shut down in quarantine because of a virus. And so just like certain aspects of that are, are really interesting. Luckily, you know, there aren't zombies running around. But yeah, it's just interesting to play some of these particular games. Mm-hmm. I mean, last time you recorded with Carolyn, like it was kind of like, was it? Uh, I guess it was a month ago, but like, um, mm-hmm. how intense has, has have things gotten since then? <laughs> yeah, so when I recorded with her, school was distance learning. I think we had only started. I'm trying to think if it even started the week that uh, it was going to start, maybe later in the week. And so it hadn't officially started, but school was out and we were going to go through spring break and then come back on the 14th of April. So there is still, you know, the the possibility there. You could still go out and congregate no more than 10 people, but there were more stores open. And for example, like Starbucks, I could pick something up if I wanted to at the grab and go. But now... Non-essential things like Starbucks, unless there's a drive-through, that's all closed. Uh, grocery stores are pretty uh, limited now. With the you know there are these spaces. You have to. I went to Wegmans this week, and you have to wait behind a red wine, and then you put your stuff on the little conveyor belt that moves, but you can't approach the cash register until the person tells you you can do that. School is now out throughout the rest of the year. There's no prom. Right now, there's no commencement either, probably. School will end a bit earlier, and I'm trying to think, oh, now we're at the the stay in unless necessary situation. You can still exercise, which is lovely, and you can go to work if it's absolutely necessary, which I will have to soon uh, to get stuff to prepare for the rest of this long haul. But otherwise, I think we're not as shut up as maybe New York or California at the moment. But yeah, it it uh, jumped up, and that was just a couple weeks ago. So it's gotten pretty crazy. I also watched, which I shouldn't do anymore because it's kind of freaky, but on YouTube, they have a time lapse of the cases and it's a world map. Depending on how many cases there are, the regions get darker red. And so it's kind of scary to watch that as it morphs, you know, throughout the dates and, and how that happens. I didn't know Iran. This was interesting. I was talking to my mom about it. Iran was really heavily hit. I mean, it was black or really dark red around the same time that China was. Uh, I was trying to figure out why Iran would have been hit so hard because it was pretty uh, densely hit. I don't, I don't know how to say it, but more so than the U.S. and quicker. So that was really interesting. But yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's an interesting time. I think mental health is certainly <laughs> what I'm most worried about, going stir crazy. But as long as I can get out and walk or run, I think that's great. And then doing this, doing this, I think, is uh, public service. Might sound silly to say so, but just kind of trying to keep a sense of normalcy and like, hey, you know, I've got a podcast that comes out monthly. I'm still going to do that podcast for you guys. So you yeah, go. how about you? Well, <laughs> What does it look? What has it looked like for you where you are? The soonest aff- affecting elements of it were like was at my, my job because 
we like took out all the tables and the chairs and we we had to constantly wash our hands and we canceled a lot of our signings and events and then my the, the county that I work in is not the county that that my house is at and the Davis County which is so where my house is at when that was kind of suggested on on a general lockdown I would say, okay, it's probably responsible for me to stay home because my mom has a lot of health issues. And I, if if I, could, if I get this thing, I, I'd probably be fine, but I can't risk infecting her. So mm-hmm. I told them, hey, I want to take a week or two off. And a week after that, the store closed. And you can only like, do, do online pickup with that place. Then, you know, my dad and my brother start working at home. And, uh, and we're just essentially – you know, staying and only going out for, for food and some walks in the evening. I've actually been keeping in shape in my room. I have some dumbbells. So it's been kind of like Terror Squad, you know, uh, <laughs> Clubber Club Lang training, which is which sure. it's good because I was going to go go crazy. I, the only thing I wish is I had an adjustable bench to work off of, but alas. Otherwise, yeah, you kind of just keep your head down. I still have my freelance gig at DC, so I, I can get some income then. But obviously, obviously, hopefully, this won't go too long before things start getting really dire. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the situation we're maintaining and just trying to, to be responsible because it's not so much whether you get sick, but whether other people who are less fortunate get sick. And you have to. This is one of those things where, like, you know, it's rare for an entire country or a planet to kind of have to stick together for a unifying cause. But this is where you got to do it, otherwise. Mm-hmm scenario yeah i think that's been the most disheartening i guess is you are starting to see i think human nature poor human nature pop through and you know we haven't had rioting or people breaking into stores but just the carelessness of well if i get it i get it and i mean you know sure that's true but it's not about you it's about if you get it you could also cause other people to get it so it's interesting because i feel like we're in a very me centric world i don't know if it's just the us or it's a lot of people but it seems like the us is pretty selfish and just like oh that's fine if i get it but you're not thinking outside of yourself so that's the one thing that i think is is a bit sad but i like go i I feel heartened then though going on like instagram or uh, twitter or something and you have these people who like megan rapino or the u.s women's national team or the arsenal ladies football club you know giving ideas of how to work out at home and stay home and and be be a hero like that just stay home and and keep other people safe so i'm hoping that because you know those people are are influencers in the sense of in the public eye that maybe they'll be you know people like us will be convinced to do that but yeah that's the i think the worst thing we've seen so far in florida being weird you know people still going to spring break and hanging out on the beach so weird Oh my god! And people, you know, are quick to blame millennials for that because youth. But like, it's Generation Z that's that's destroying themselves. So like, <laughs> us millennials, like people, someone said online, us millennials are worried about our moms. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, yeah. we're, I, I think we're a lot more anxiously responsible than the boomers are, have, have depicted us in, in, in the in the wider media. But like, mm. I mean, that's, that's kind of a smaller conversation. But. um now people, there, there is there is a video like a couple weeks ago of people at, at some sort of honky talk bar in Nashville, like living it up when the lockdown started happening, and it's just like I, 
I gotta get out of this place. <laughs> I'm, sick of, I'm sick of Nashville. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I could. Uh, my nephew's birthday is next week, actually, and I wish I could go down and visit and like visit my parents and everything. But my concern is like, you know, I was at school. I've been around people, so I just feel like I'll have cultures that you know I might bring to others and. It would just, yeah, concern me. So that's like the saddest thing is, you know, it's nice not living with someone to a certain extent, but also it's like kind of been hard to not have any contact with anybody, uh, which is why I do my isolation snipes sometimes. It's not completely altruistic, but I, I check in on people using FaceTime and get to talk to them face to face. So that's been heartening. And like I said, last night was actually like a, a big, it was a big thumbs up for me. I watched Resident Evil the third film <laughs> with Harold uh, where we like, were, was, I know we were text Skyping uh, next time we'll use the Netflix the little uh, party thing and watching it and then just you know happened to see Donovan playing and that was just uh, a lot of fun so so there are some things that yeah just try to find like Shag says find your joy somehow so you don't go crazy absolutely yeah no this I think this is the if we if we can compartmentalize the hundreds of thousands of people who've died and we're fortunate enough to mm-hmm. just kind of stick it out. This is going to be a very interesting time for self-discovery, whether we, yeah. we kind of just taking care of ourselves mentally or working on, working on things that can help us, well, help us mentally. And mm-hmm. it'll, it, it's, it's one of those moments where not since, you know, 2001, we're, we're living in history and you just have to kind of be aware of yourself as that's happening. So you can kind of have a, a, a perspective that you might not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's hoping. Uh, what I'm looking forward to is for it. It's going to sound weird for me to say this, but I'm waiting for Corona to peak because I think when that happens, it's like, you know, we've survived the worst of it and then it'll be downhill from there. But yeah, it's yet to peak. So that's the that's the unfortunate thing. And also remember with all this data, you know, the numbers that the numbers are people. <laughs> so, you know, when we're saying all these uh, unfortunate casualties and things like that, they're actual people and funerals aren't allowed, which is really sad. So uh, all those things to yeah consider. Also, but this, we're, this, yeah. this is very important. Do yes. not listen to the press. <laughs> The president is that what you said? <laughs> no, no uh, yeah, I'm serious. He, he's getting people killed. Don't do it. Just listen. Listen to anybody who works in the WHO or the CDC and who yeah. talks about the day to day business of dealing with this on the front lines. Don't listen to the person who's been 100 percent wrong since the jump and let this happen faster than it had to for his own purposes. I think Doctor, what's his name? Foki Fauci. Fauci, I think. Yeah, is he's pretty good, right? He's someone that we can rely on his. Uh, his yeah, he, yeah, he he is. Yeah, his his interests are all in contain this. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see the twenty twenty election. I was actually I went on a walk with someone. We were socially distanced, but we went on a walk, and uh, I actually said, "Wouldn't it be scary if we couldn't vote? If we couldn't go out and vote?" You know, there was a uh, Justice League episode that kind of referenced that. If you recall, in A Better World with, like, the Justice Lords. Oh, yes. A scene in which Justice Lord Superman was talking to, who was clearly George W. Bush, about (laughs) the prospect of delaying an election. And Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, let's say, the commentary saying, or maybe I read about it, saying, like, that was perceived as a possibility during, like, the War on Terror back in 2003, 2004. And it was kind of eerie that they kind of, they kind of mirrored that idea. But like delaying the election to me is like, yeah, that's when has that ever happened in, in American history? So, yeah, it would remind me of 
in Roman times, you of course have your consuls, which are uh, annually elected. They're basically the president. But in times of extreme emergency, they could either make one of those consuls or dictator or go out and find someone and that person can be granted emergency powers for six months. So my thought would be like, we you know, grant Trump uh, an extended period to like get through this kind of thing. That would be the, I think the the scary thing is like not being able to go out and vote. So I'm hoping that that <laughs> doesn't happen. But yeah, it'll be interesting how this, I mean, I think it should be and it will be a topic in the debates once they start happening again and see, oh, yeah. And it should also be for the future, for the future debates and things like how, what would you do to plan for this? Because I think once we pass it, because I'm very hopeful that we will, we can't, you know, rest on our laurels and hope and pray that won't ever happen again. So hopefully we'll learn from this and then um, we'll be better for the future. Hopefully it's the word. I know. Uh, Well, we're here to talk about sunnier things, though. You dare straight we are! (laughs) (laughs) And it's, in fact, some Cassandra Cain. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to say to hold on after the episode at the end, kind of like when Carolyn popped on and we had a conversation about Star Wars. I recently had a conversation with Ian Prime himself, Ian Miller, about the 2020 Emma adaptation. We talked about a couple different adaptations, but then focused on that one. So if you want to hear that, it's kind of like a literature spotlight. So if you want to hear that, uh, that will be at the end. It was a lot of fun to talk about that. But yeah, so we're going to do this one. This was the one, if you recall, a couple episodes before, <laughs> Donovan said he was, quote, vibrating in in uh, preparation or in hopes of talking about this. I guess not really. In expectation. That would be the best word. In I expectation of this. Yeah, I'm sure you, like your PS4 controller. So here we are. We're going to do it. Seven, eight, and nine, and fingers crossed that Donovan doesn't give it a ten out of ten like he has the past two times. But who knows? What kind of fingers um, crossed is that? <laughs> For you to be realistic. Okay. Well, Donovan, it is your turn now to do a plot synopsis. All right, I'll just get the white the drool out of my mouth. Oh, and my God. <laughs> as succinctly okay. as human possible. Did you want me to describe the covers uh, synopsis or wait until after I'm done? Uh, we can wait because that is one of my points is to talk about the cover. Sure, no is problem. It? Batgirl number seven. Wham! Batman uh, punches Cassandra in the face of the left cross. And he, essentially the scene is that her office is fine, but without her special body language reading skills, her defense is shot. He gives her a CD disc to learn 127 martial arts that like fandom wants to say that he's a master, but he probably just knows tertiarily and says, we'll try it next week. Cass tries to basically learn these lessons in a day or two, but she learns nothing. She's getting worse, and she's basically not taking any of the knowledge because, as she says it, there's all the knowledge is no substitute for knowing. What she used to be able to do was much more like time flowing into itself. You know, it was like breathing. It was it was like just understanding instinctively how people were going to react. Wham! She's hit in the face again. Wham! She's hit in the face again. And she is insistent that she needs to get better because people outside in Gotham City every day, every night are dying. Her life is not as important as theirs. But Batman's like, oh, Jason Todd. So you're not going to be blown up on my watch. I'm going to town for a few days. Don't do anything stupid. Cut to somebody doing something stupid when a bunch of crooks on the rooftop are taken down by a mysterious masked woman who we don't is Cass. So 
down at uh, the next day at a mall, we see Oracle and Batgirl just kind of shopping around, meeting each other. And Oracle says, yo, I know it's you who's wearing that face paint and running around beating up criminals. And I'm not going to tell <laughs> on you, but if Batman says you're not ready, you're not ready. Kat says, were you ready? And she's like, I'm not you. You know, we're two different people. So you have to do the intelligent thing. Cut to that night where Cass does the exact same thing because she can't help herself. She's running around looking for trouble. And all of a sudden, she sees a lilac and violet bespotted figure just pimp walking down the street. And we have a flashback of Oracle showing Batgirl just like the villain roster. She's like going through the K's, the L's. Killer Croc, Killer Moth. Let's go to the L's. Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, long story. She's kind of Would an assassin. Would she be in the L's or the S's? I'm thinking the L's. There's actually an issue later okay. on where you see that list, and it is in alphabetical order. So I'm, I'm guessing the L's, but okay. I, I might be wrong. But I appreciate you mentioning Killer Moth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm imagining Oracle is like, <laughs> you know, Killer Moth, loser. And speaking of losers, let's go down to the L's. Uh, oh! <laughs> Her hobby is hunting down the best fighters in the world and beating them to death with her bare hands. I can break these down. I, these combat readings go down for pages, but I can break them down real easy for you. She's better than you are. Stay away from her. And it's Sandra Wushan, a.k.a. Lady Shiva, walking to a French restaurant. So Cassandra's like, let me at her, let me at her, let me at her. <laughs> she runs in there and is waiting for Shiva to... Uh, start some trouble but all she does is just order a meal and finish it so before Cass is thrown out for stealing water and bread uh we see a type of like foreign dignitary like a, a, a princess of some kind um from with 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 two body cars that might denote some sort of middle eastern origin or maybe even indian uh kind of enter the restaurant and as shiva gets up Cass realizes that's why she's there so in an instant, Shiva takes out one guard, she takes out another guard, and as Batgirl runs up to her, she gets crossed in the face, the same way that Batman did at the beginning of issue 7. Which leads us to issue 8, in which we have the same thing happen. So as um, Shiva cracks her on the face, the gun flies into her hand, and she just grabs it without looking like a boss, and puts a gun up to the, let's just say princess, the princess's face. Batgirl runs in front of the gun and just says, you and me which intrigues shiva cut to another wham into the kitchen and while batgirl tries her best shiva effortlessly dislocates her shoulder and just spends the next couple pages beating the crap out of her um she launches to her finishing move which is a kill as batgirl is lies on the ground and the last thing she sees before shiva connects is the image of her killing the mob boss when she was eight years before she left david kane so she's dead no she's fine she wakes up in the ambulance, <laughs> and uh, she's like, oh, she didn't kill myself me alive. Mistake. She disarms the the EMT at, at her side and grabs her stuff and jumps out of the ambulance onto a cop car because, you know, there was a fight. And although she's broken some ribs and dislocated her arm, she's still – the way that Cassandra kind of rolls, she, she can kind of – ignore the pain that that's, must be consuming her body and basically tries to find Shiva again even though she realizes this is incredibly idiotic I didn't beat her when I was healthy how can I beat her when I'm like at half strength Shiva Batman's right behind her and says we're a lot alike you and I um, and uh, Cass is like you didn't kill the girl you didn't kill me why and, and Shiva says why would I I'm a warrior and a murderer I came here to find you because to, to, I heard that you were the best imagine my disappointment at how much you sucked 
And she's like, I can tell you're holding back as well as gaps in your fighting style. Why are you holding back? And Cassandra says, I don't kill. And she was like, that's a waste. If, if, you, if we tried and had a death duel, things would be interesting. But whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to your like-minded mentor. My bracelet, please. And I, I have neglected to mention that like, uh, there was a bracelet that was left at the, the crime scene that people thought – the EMT thought where Cassandra's was actually uh, Shiva's. Um, so Cass has, a, has Shiva's property wrapped around her arm saying, come and get it. And she was like, uh-huh, whatever. I, I've already broken enough bones of yours tonight, so please, one more time, my bracelet with your broken arm. So Cass kind of fumbles the bracelet into her palm, holds it out, and then cold cocks Shiva when she's not when she is least expecting it, which sends a shock of pain through her shoulder. But Shiva is knocked unconscious, and Cass says, "Okay, that was a cheap shot, but sorry, Shiva, I don't kill, but I don't lose either. Get wrecked." Issue nine. <laughs> um, uh, things are not going well with Batman. Her defense still sucks, and he's just beating her around, and they both understand that she's not getting any better. But Batman says, hey, don't give up. This kind of this kind of fighting that we're into, it takes time, training, learning patterns, learning strategies, tricks. And Cass is like, okay, how long is this going to take? And Batman's like, oh, cheer up. You know, you work hard every day, and you'll be good enough for, your costume, for me to give you your costume back in a year. And she's like, no, 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 not good enough. What about to be like you? And Batman's like, um, 10 years, maybe more. Cass kind of rolls around in her mind, you know, 10 years. Kane made me perfect in eight. She resolves to, to meet Shiva uh, for mysterious purposes. Batman goes uh, out of town again. But here... <laughs> does this a lot. This entire story, it's about him going out of town. I know, like, like, like to Macau or some places. While Batgirl asks Oracle to send send a message to Shiva, Batman goes off to see David Kane, which I think is like the second or third time. And he goes through his film collection. Cast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sounds sketchy. Particularly the image of like a naked David Kane drunk on his bed. <laughs> but that being said, Cass meets Shiva on a rooftop and says, Ah, Lady Shiva, thank you for meeting. And then she just proceeds to like kick her teeth out. Batman sits down and watches on a film strip images of a man, David Kane, uh, and a little girl twirling a, a, a knife on her finger, that being Cassandra or Batgirl, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of doing that. David Kane loads up uh, a couple of guns and starts shooting Cassandra uh, in her back. And we see Cassandra react to getting shot in the shoulder. And again, this is like an eight-year-old Cassandra. And then he begins to dodge the bullets and, and take him apart, all with a smile on her face. We cut back to Batman, who is absolutely hard. He looks like he just saw the, foot, the footage from Return of the Joker, while David Kane wakes up and is behind him going, that's my girl. So <laughs> Batman's like, I... I thought you trained her like you trained me, like you trained other people, but all you did was abuse this child. And Kane's like, is that all you saw? Yeah, some detective. He's like, is, is this, all, is this what you came for, this little film festival? And Batman's like, no, there was also the two cops who killed during No Man's Land. And David and Kane's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Batman. Now let me just pull this gun out of my you know, my dresser. And Batman's like, yeah, I'm not here to arrest you. I'm here to make you wish wish that I had. Come back to Gotham City where Batgirl's saying, I wish I brought a mouthpiece. And she was like, okay, what do you have a death wish? Like, why do you want to fight me? And she's like, I don't want to fight you. Uh-huh. What do you want? I need a favor. And she was like, a favor after that crap you pulled on me last issue? You're not leaving here alive. But Cassandra's like, look, you see moves before they happen. 
I used to. I want to again. And Shifa says, yes, yes, I see it now. The gap in your style. I can give you back what you lost. Rather quickly. But there's a price. One year from now, we, we have to fight. You must use all your skills, your killing skills, and I'll use mine. A death duel, as befits warriors. What is your answer? Cassandra uh, is thinking to herself, I'm never going to kill again, so I'll go all out, and then I'll die. I don't have to do this. I can train with Batman. I can be mediocre for a lifetime or perfect for a year. And the last time just, she was like devilish grin. She says, well, so we cut back to the Batcave where both Cass and Batman are beaten up. And Batman's like, look, Batgirl, I've been working on different ways to help you uh, regain your fighting skills. Nothing yet. But Cass like, oh, no, 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 it's good. It's good. I'm ready now. And so Batman tries throwing some punches at her. And just like she used to, she dodges them effortlessly uh, with a similar grin on her face as Shiva had. Batman's like, uh, uh, how'd you do that? And the issue ends with Batgirl saying, "I as she has the costume in her hands, I gave it everything I got. And that is uh, Batgirl 7 through 9. Thank you. Oh, believe me, it was my <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Hey, pretty good story. We're going to talk about it now. Um, so. I should hope so. Yeah. Well, yeah, what if we just moved on? Well, what's your grade? Okay, good, good. Let's and then we moved Batgirl. on. <laughs> I yeah I know how okay I will say that I did enjoy this and I remembered it liking it the first time I had read it but there are a couple things that I have questions about and some issues I also have with it so you're oh, here to are. of course defend it and explain <laughs> oh boy um okay so first I would like to talk about the timing I think that's probably the biggest issue I have in the storyline, especially in nine. It's see, I can't tell exactly when all of this is happening. Obviously, Batman gives us some timelines because he's away for a week, a couple days. He lets us know that, but after eight, uh, she's pretty, she's pretty messed up. Uh, she's t- her shoulder is taped. Uh, I do think that the tape needed to be drawn farther down her stomach, actually, in order to encompass her ribs. But that's an artistic choice, I suppose. But getting into nine. She's back training, and so I wonder what the time gap is there because I feel like she should still be injured. And then how long, for how long did she train with Shiva because that also seemed like a really short time. So it could be just the way it's plotted, but it just seems so quick for number one, the healing, and then number two, her getting her skills back with Shiva. So what do you think about about the timeline that they do throughout this these three issues? Now, that's a really good point, and I was thinking about that too. I think I've always thought about that whenever I read these issues because – as Barbara mentioned in the last issue, she was like shot like five times. I imagine yeah. that, except for obviously like seven and eight bleed right into each other. But I think generally speaking, this is one of those comments where like maybe a month in between issues is actually a month. That's, that's the only way we can kind of like hop to the idea that she can recover from her injuries even kind of fast to kind of start standing on her feet again. Because as good as Kat says, she is literally human. Literally human. She's a fictional character. She's human. Um, <laughs> so I'm imagining that between eight and nine is a month and between six okay. and seven is a month and there's no real dialogue to go into that but obviously time has passed it's not the next day it's not the next week so i'm just kind of like putting my own head cannon in there because there's that it's yeah I'm just, I'm just figuring that like it's not meant to be the same day because they, they make a plot point about how injured she is so it's just like i don't know four weeks later 
And then how long is she with Shiva, do you think? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. That's, 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 that's okay. kind of meant to be a mystery. It's ambiguous. Okay. Yeah, I just wonder. And I mean, Shiva did say that she would give it back to her and quickly. So you can imagine that she's probably a, a tough taskmaster. So let's go. Yeah, let's go through the individual issues because I'll pick up. But that was just the greatest, the the biggest question that I had. Um, and then there's one other big issue that I have, but we'll we'll get to it once we have it. So... In issue seven, actually, sorry, let's stop right here. Let's just stop right here and talk about the covers. Apologies, because uh, I do like to do this now. I like uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun for uh, Carolyn to to talk about <laughs> the covers. Um, there the are ridiculous things here. Oh, the pile of racism, and then the one where it says in this issue, Batman dies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, talk about the uh, the different covers. So starting with number seven. Uh, I'm gonna go back to that Batman dies thing because I, I, I want to mention that. But like issue seven, oh, it's a good cover. I mean, like uh, I remember. <laughs> now I wasn't reading. I will say this, like right off the jump, this was the first. This three parter was the first time I actually like sat down and like read the Batgirl series, and it had been like it, that was around 2005. I remember that summer. It was around the same time that Batman Begins was coming out. But I do remember this comic book coming out when it came out in like 2000, right? Like I, I remember that scene when he was telling her about Jason Todd. Like like in my comic book shop, so I think the cover drew me to the reading this issue. Like the idea of Batman just like ripping it in half. <laughs> this yeah. is a dramatic cover. I like how Damian Scott illustrates the the fabric and the texture of their bat of their bat costumes because it looks mostly like kind of a mix between leather and vinyl, where it's flexible, but it's it's also you can imagine it's some sort of material makes it possibly bulletproof. So it's not just you know. I guess some, it's somewhat, someone could see it as like, you know, maybe wrapping paper. But also, I'm imagining like the density of, of the fabric to be kind of stretchy and stuff. So, him kind of ripping it apart shows that there's a lot of like, I don't know, angry effort going into it. Mm-hmm. The, the cover of issue seven is good. My favorite is, is issue eight, where it's it's um it's straight up Shiva and Dark Girl cross kicking each other with the bat signal in the background. To me, that's just like, that's a comic book cover, and I, and I'm, and I am here for it. Yeah, I think with seven, the only thing that I don't like because it, I feel like it, well, it doesn't make sense in terms of what we know, but I think it had to be done, is that the way the cowl is created is as if it were a hard or soft shell rather than fabric. Mm-hmm. And I think we know that her cowl is actually fabric, but I think the way it need to be presented here so that we could see clearly that it's Cassandra's outfit. Um, and if you had used it like fabric, you wouldn't have, it wouldn't be standing up on its own. So that's the only thing that I'm like, Oh, well, I mean, realistically it wouldn't, but just to show, yeah, I know it's very dramatic. Like it seems like he's really angry, whereas it's the opposite because Batman's actually portrayed pretty caring. I would say throughout this entire arc, look, I'm defending Batman. (laughs) What is Um, this? I know the world is topsy turvy. I agree that my favorite is is eight. Uh, the fact that you know her name is Shiva, she cannot be defeated. Heck yeah. And the uh, Cassandra, she's got her new outfit on, her stealth Cassandra outfit on, and Shiva's having the time of her life. It seems she's got the smirk that she carries for all of them, and of course the bat signal in the back. And then for nine, it's very standard. 
Yeah, uh, she's back in costume, but what is going on in the picture or in the image doesn't really happen in there. You kind of would wish maybe something would reflect, you know, her getting. Well, I guess her being back in costume is the big thing. But it's not a sorry. spoiler too. Like, like she doesn't get the suit till the, at the last page. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to have her and Shiva again somehow, um, like or talk about like the, uh, a debt must be paid or you know the wager. I don't know something to show that something's about to happen. But uh, yeah, so I would say eight is uh, the best of of those three. So with number seven, something that whoop, you know I had to stop reading <laughs> right away is that Oracle calls her. Cassandra for the first time kind of cuts it off and she goes back and calls her back girl whether that's because she realized you know that she's naming her in her mind and it came outward or she stops because she feels like maybe Cass prefers back girl but this is actually the first time that Oracle says the c word Cassandra so we can we can log that but no explanation as to why she did it and like I said the origin comes from that no man's land novelization by Greg Rocca uh but did you catch this and uh what do you think about her pausing and then calling her back girl right afterwards yeah, I always forget that that happens in this issue. I'm always like, I don't know when issue this that happens, but like it's it's early in the run. I like that detail. Where it's like, look, you need to relax, Cass. Sorry, bad girl. I, I don't know. That to me <laughs> yeah. is cool. I, I, I like. I mean, Cassandra Kane, I think is a very nice name. Um, and I, you know, I, when I had interest with the character, I, and I know her as Cassandra Kane. But like, I like these early issues where. Whether she's in the costume or not, because call her Batgirl. I just think that's cool. So it's neat. I, mean, I don't know if we'll ever know, like, if we – because, like, the, the novelization of No Man's Land and the Batman comics are different. Um, they're different mm-hmm. formats. So I don't know if we'll ever yeah. know, like, editorially what went behind naming her Cassandra Kane. like, it, whether Joe Illich remembers or Kelly Puckett or Scott Peterson. Honestly, I think we'll take a time machine because it feels like such a, a, a detail that might be lost in the weeds that, like – if if I find out, I'll, you'll be the first to know. But I, I, yeah, I'm always confused. But like you know, whatever. Is it just by the by this point, her name is Cass. I don't think they call her. I might be wrong. In fact, I probably am. But I don't know if they call her Cassandra again until the next writer, who is mm-hmm. uh, 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 Dylan Horrocks. It might be Grybeck. I, I forget the order of the next writer, but like, uh, or maybe Chuck Dixon. But like, um. I don't think in this current Puckett and Scott run, she's referred to as Cassandra. But again, like, next month you might you might find that different. So, but I, I just remember generally she's known as Batgirl. I think it's something that'll probably point out, just like Barbara Gordon's hairdos. <laughs> I'm sure that once it happens, because it's I just my focus is is attuned to it now. So I'm sure we'll we'll keep keep on that it's interesting though because you talk about yeah different formats and you know if this were the star wars universe everything would be because they're so almost clinical in in how everything needs to match and have the same continuity but yeah dc even now doesn't have that (laughs) so back then you know just because it happened in the novelization doesn't mean that um the reasons are the same here uh it does make sense obviously with the with the mythology going back but you know oracle and cassandra and i'll be interested to see when because i think comic writers love alliteration so cassandra kane but we call her that 
Cassandra Cain and it just like rolls off the tongue and that's fine. But if you stop to think about it, the fact that she takes her father's name is a huge deal. And so I'm wondering when that happens and if there's any attention drawn to that. I mean, I don't know because I feel that like later on, especially with the background that that crappy background was and it is pluses and minuses but like david king calls her cassandra i think so like i don't know honestly i would have to do like a like appearance list like from top to bottom reread just to kind of like yeah. pull the pieces together but like because he doesn't call her any name you know and like when they, and we'll get into it later when they retcon that like she was her mom it's, it's like you know I, I think some writers even say, oh, we named you Cassandra. And, like, with the context of this, if what's interesting to me is if Barbara gave her the name Cassandra, so she calls her Cass, and then she apologizes. It's like, oh, sorry, I, I know you don't like the name that I gave you when I adopted you. <laughs> I don't know. There's <laughs> it, it, amusing things going on there. Um, again, I like the name Cassandra King, but, like, I also like calling her Batgirl. It's, to me, it's like, you know, call him Dick as opposed to Richard, you know, Alfred. So, like, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. It's just like a personal preference. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. I like how in this issue we've got distance learning happening to a certain extent where Batman gives a disc of all these things. I mean, it's practically what I'm doing <laughs> with my uh, students, so that was really interesting. And the fact that I think in one go she actually <laughs> she actually sits there and watches the whole thing. I don't know if he's that he just talks though, so he's not really the best teacher since he's just telling her about everything. <laughs> what do you think about her? I call it the non backroll outfit that she came up with and uses. Oh, for like the one panel she had, like or the couple panels she had, like the the, the scrubby mask. Yeah, I think it's interesting for for a shot. I actually really like what she's wearing in seven and eight. Generally, like like the uh, like the, the the tight turtleneck and the black jeans. I think that's very that's very two thousands. It's an interesting. I like you know. Again, Damien, Damien Scott's a really good artist, so I like kind of the baggy utility belt wrapped around her shoulder and, like, you know, the the grappling hook and stuff. But, like, it is, it's interesting. But having just done a, written an article for DC Universe about Cassandra's various identities, I've never considered putting this on there because it's not really one that sticks. I think the art – I think Scott makes makes it more interesting than it is. But, you know, for one, for one shot, it's fine. I like the idea that, like, she's wearing this and then the next page – Oracle's like, yeah, I know who you are. So it's pretty much useless. useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't you can't get past Oracle with certain things. Um, it's kind of like a teenager trying to, and I guess that's really what it is, right? Trying to obey, obey the spirit, I suppose, of the law, but not necessarily stick to it and then mm-hmm. trying to get away with some things. But of course, Oracle knows what's going on, um, which I, I actually really like Oracle in this particular issue, just like sure. her – um, trying to be give her positive reinforcement and help her out, and then meeting her in the store. Which at first I thought is that oil. I guess it has to be Oracle. Yeah, I guess she told Cass to uh, meet her at Tracy's. But I really oh they didn't they didn't go there th- themselves. Does, does she like live there with her? Did they? It kind of seem no because it says it's you right at the beginning. So I feel like she shows. I up. thought that. You know what I thought? I oh. thought that like Cass was like you know it's you know that for it's you like like kind of a fashion joke. Okay, okay, it could be yeah. Maybe they did go together. Well, that's even sweeter actually. <laughs> if that's the fact that because I mean you think about what we know of Cass right now, and it doesn't seem like she'd be the type to go shopping. But the fact that they go out together, I think, is really nice. Uh, but then this big moment—I I call it a big moment—but I really liked that she is. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell on you, but I do want you to stop 
probably, you know, for protection, obviously. Um, and then she says, if you're not ready, if he says you're not ready, you're not ready. And she, Cassandra asks Babs, were you ready? And Babs says, that's not the point, which I think is really interesting because probably not. You know, if I think back to her origin, you know, it was all supposed to be a joke anyways. And so for her to go out was pretty dangerous. And so I like that there are similarities, even though these are disparate characters as well. I think there are similarities in their origins to a certain extent. Um, yeah. So what do you think about this scene, which I, I really like? I love this this scene. Is it two pages? Yeah. This entire thing in Tracy's. You know, for one thing, we have like a Pokemon reference with like a, a kid who looks like Ash Ketchum wanting a Pokemon doll because it was <laughs> – but like uh, I don't know. I kind of go from top to bottom. I, I love – I like them – it kind of reminds me of like the cellulite scene where like they're they're kind of poking at each other. Like Cassandra still has problems communicating, but she's like, you know, she gives – oh, Oracle, you love this black lipstick. And Oracle's like, I don't wear lipstick. Yeah, you don't date either. Maybe you should. Oh, real. And like you see like the – like, like self-satisfied smoke in her face. And like, oh, yeah, we'll take this cleanser. You know, mass girl. And Cash is like, how did you know my secret? I did. It's like it's like the shadow of the back of graphic novel. Yeah, that line, were you ready? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not talking about me. That to me is a very yeah. – it's almost kind of like parental big sister kind of thing where it's like, you know, my mistakes aren't your mistakes. And like, let's – but mm-hmm. she's not being like, you know, evasive. She's saying like, you know, that's that is not the point, you know. You're you have a death wish. Cut it out. But no, no. I, I, this is one of those things that always is always in my mind when I think of these two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just really great. And you know, I I still kind of uh, will complain about, and I'm still on the seat of of disbelief in her language acquisition, and you know how. Uh, how easy kind of it has come for her, but I guess we can, uh, given your timeline of when these events may happen, I guess she's been practicing, but also the fact that now she's got wit. So it's not just <laughs> understanding the words, but using them, you know, saying that date, maybe you should, and so Babs saying, oh, really? I mean, you know, Babs is practically dating Dick Grayson, but no, no <laughs> com- official commitment has happened. But the fact, yeah, so it's just really interesting to see that particular development and last time that you were on we were actually talking about you know that it's hard for barbara to communicate with her and that's that was hard on her so you can see the development of that relationship and that now that they can communicate um just i think how close they've gotten so much closer i think now well this is a point that i I wanted to bring up because these three issues are if you notice these are the only issues in this initial kelly puckett run where okay well, well they, they started happening last the last story where she started having thoughts in her head but if you take away that story these are the only three issues in the kelly puckett damien scott run where she has like thought captions where she thinks to herself really? you know why is everybody trying yeah why is everybody trying to help me insane or you know or this really sucks like it's it's actually not i like it that's how i was introduced to it but if you go by the history before and after it's actually not really uh cassandra's traditional voice um, in terms of her, her, mm. her inner monologue. After this, you know, once once she gets her kind of you know, her quote unquote powers back, I mean, she she thinks and she and she speaks, but it's not. It's done a lot more muted, right? Like when she's when she goes back to speaking, it's it's very very like like there's there's not much of it. And obviously, when when the other writers get in, like like Horrocks or Grybach, she will have that again because it's, because it's a different writer, different voice. But this is the only time. When she's not at her fighting capabilities, where she speaks and things like this, and it's more traditional of an average, like you know, comic book, where she is when she's fully skilled, 
she doesn't think and speak as as uh, generally as, as other people do. Um, that being said, this kind of is my preferred take on how she speaks, where she like there's a lot of ellipses in between words. Like she knows what she wants to say, but she says uh, when when back when, blah, blah, when Barbara says I don't wear lipstick, and Cass responds, "Don't date either. Maybe should." That to me is much better than like the broken language. Like I'm a, I'm a child who doesn't know English talking that she does in the modern comic books, which to me just reads as insulting because um, she's taking her time and she knows what she wants to say, but she can't. She has to think about how to pronounce it, how to get it across, how to like you know give it a voice. Like, so she's like she's, when she says, "Were you ready?" She she says, "Were you?" ready and to me i just think that's smarter i see what you're saying I, I i like how she speaks and how she i think you're, you have a point in terms of how she thinks like when she says this sucks i think that she has that sort of emotion but i don't know if she's actually like thinking of those those words in her head but um again this is the last time we'll see her think that way because of like because of like the mental state and where she is in terms of her personal fighting skills thanks for pointing that out because i don't think i would have remembered from from yeah this one to the the next one that all of a sudden her thought bubbles are gone or her narration box right uh so then we get to lady she <laughs> and i do want to talk about this and it'll sort of blend into eight as well so in the flashback i first want to point out that uh this is how i think cast should have been taped in eight as well where it was like completely down her belly um but again artistic choice i suppose but when barbara says her hobby shiva her hobby is hunting down the best fighters in the world and beating them to death with her bare hands that is not who i envision shiva to be is this for this particular story am i missing because i know she's a trained assassin but this sounds like she just goes out wants to prove she's the best so she hunts you know kind of like craven the hunter is this uh just me have i misinterpreted shiva's character all these years and her motives or is this just for the story so that you know we have this confrontation between Cass and Shiva and it makes sense that Shiva would seek her out what what is your thought on this characterization of Shiva well okay because and I'm glad we, we came up to this because this is always a point this is also a point here. um <laughs> this nobody, is why I have a podcast for good questions well nobody can get these Asian DC women right ever and, I, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying <laughs> you like the writers in general but I'm not, I'm not even no, saying sure I get it yeah what is your like, just just to kind of just to make this conversation? I don't want to mansplain because like genuinely, like what is your understanding of Shiva's character either at this point or just like overall? Obviously, she's trained with several people and she's become uh, one of the best, if not the best. I think there's certainly a list that people agree and disagree on. But I, my thought was that she is a hired assassin slash mercenary. And that she does like to go after big game, as we'll call them. So people that um, it will be a hunt and it'll be fun for her, for her to match her skills with. But she doesn't do it completely for funsies. She's actually getting paid to do it. So she would turn down a job if it were like easy pickings or something like that. So I feel like that's what it is rather than her craving the hunt Craven, Craven the hunter in it, where she just goes out looking for someone to go up against and prove that she's the best. It is actually how Oracle's describing it closer. I'll, I'll kind of get into what I said at the BGSU uh, presentation in terms of like who Shiva is, because she she's not a, she's originally not a Batman character. You know, she was she, she 
she was you first meet her in like the 70s comic richard dragon kung fu fighter and basically she um you know she became she was trained in martial arts after her sister was killed and but her main gig is that like she loves excitement like that goes all the way back to like the 70s denny o'neill comics she loves she'll she will go up against an insurmountable odds because she loves to test herself no matter how deadly things are because she is she is the best like she trained herself to be the best when she was brought back 10 years later in the question she's much more i mean we, we, we came off of cry cry for cry for blood that hunter story where she met um uh, where we go, go into Richard Dragons, like in the little hovel. She's much more of a very much more unique character. She ha- all she she's very self interested, which sounds which you hear self interest and you sound selfish, right? But she her her reasons for doing things are not they're not easily understandable by 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 the masses yeah, in the DC Comics world. Uh, she she's. The, the consistent thing about her is that you know she is the best, and she always wants to prove herself against the best. The reason why she trained Bruce to uh, get his fighting skills back in Nightfall was because he was one of the best, and she wanted if she could train him back so she, so so uh, to see if if he was at his at his peak, could she beat him then? And she also you know then there's some there's some crap about him being a killer on, under her or whatever that those kind of like out, of, out of character also I mean, but basically whenever she's often written in the batman comics she's actually written out of character at least throughout the 90s that's much more of an assassin which like she's not deathstroke she's written to be a gun by gun for hire that's in her history but that's not that's kind of weird she kind of just goes around and does what she wants and and if she's fighting somebody who she believes can give her a challenge that that's what she gets that's what she what's what she's after like the truest line in this story in regards to her character is i'm a warrior not a murderer she's not somebody who just she's not the joker who just kills people for whatever she'll kill people all the time but that's not that's not a, a that's not a that's not an, an end to itself it's the the fight it's the it's the experience it's the the struggle that she goes after rather than anything else and so when she's like kind of walking down the street baiting cassandra and and, and believe me, this is not me like you know making a judgment if you kind of go back and read a lot of what's more consistent and what's kind of more impactful that's that's more in line of what she's been done and i think you also see this in birds of prey i've not read the birds of prey issues where she's in but i've i've read people talk about them it's much more like that rather than kind of her being a gun for hire like you see in hush or you see in death in the family or stuff like that and this is a little bit more closer to her her richard dragon question kind of like characterization than it is most of the batman books which kind of just had her as, as like this sort of like dragon lady assassin okay lesson learned i guess do you think she would go through, knowing this now about her, would she go through so elaborate a plan just to get into a fight with Cass here? Because she, I guess, we'll, we'll assume that she knew she had been spotted by Cass, walks into that French restaurant, waits for this princess person to pop in there in order to get Cass to actually attack in order to defend she does what she wants i mean like like uh she knows like, like like we don't know we don't see her find out but she just knows she goes in, she comes into gotham city knowing all right there's this new batgirl she's supposed to be an incredible fighter but if she's rolling with batman there's all this morality crap that i gotta, I gotta wade through so she she I, I imagine she did this to not attract batman's attention and to also you know not deal with costumes like she knows that like whoever batgirl is is this this eurasian girl that's that's fighting her like it's like she can tell that um, her knowing she just because she, she's not supposed to know who Batman is, at least not at this point. 
but but she doesn't really care. Like 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 it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay. And then like I think around Officer Down, someone forgets that and just assumes that she does. But like um she's there for Batgirl and I think yeah, she'll she'll pull whatever like, you know, Rube Goldberg scheme to get her to fight if she if she finds it amusing enough. Okay. I mean, it seems like a really elaborate plan, but I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. I do like how, uh, issue seven ends as it began, just with two different people, but it's certain, it's mirrored or a ring composition, as there I like to say. So that's how seven ends. Uh, so with eight here, well, I mean, it was pretty brutal fight to see all this stuff happen. And I do appreciate the art that you actually see her right arm dangling down. She can not use it, uh, Cassandra. And she's also flashing back to <laughs> her first and only assassination. Why? She even says this. Why do I think of that? Why do you think at this moment is when is because like her instincts are because it's kind of like fight or will die or kill that that's why it flashes in that her killer instincts are coming in or is there some other reason that she flashes back to her first assassination i think it's her death wish and her death wish i think is a bit more it kind of ranges between like you know something that she's into just, I, think, I think it's it starts off more subconscious than it becomes like by the time we get to issue 25 which is the lady shiva's cassandra kane death duel like that's more she's much more aware of what she's after but i think here she's always you know she's throwing herself into danger and all this kind of stuff like batman and oracle have already talked about this like, she kind of seeks some sort of karmic redemption and i think when she thinks she's going to die she's like okay well i've come full circle but she doesn't realize that's what her brain is is telling her that's, that's my interpretation because mm. um, she thinks about it again and she's like oh yeah um when i thought i was going to die i thought about my first kill but like i don't think mm. in this issue she understands that but i think that's meant to portray psychologically that's what's going on with her gotcha do you think shiva landed a death blow or did she hold back oh yeah no she held back i think she even said said that like you know i i, I didn't kill you because you know you're not worth killing because imagine my disgust when when batman's hot <laughs> new martial arts partner sucks so bad so it's like yeah whatever and I, I think she even she even meant okay. to ask she left her alive so she could ask you know like like what is your deal yeah do you think she left that bracelet on purpose in order to maybe have a second go or that she knew Cass would seek her out i think so it's a, li- it's a little vague but I, th- I think that's that's the idea yeah. but, but she, she really wants that bracelet <laughs> She sure does. Uh, And she gets it. She gets it with a whole lot more, of course. This one punch, is it realistic at the end that that Shiva – I feel like she would be surprised, but she wouldn't have been knocked out. But, yeah, what's your thought on this this last scene here? I mean, you know, like mother, like daughter, if if anybody could do it. It would, be, it would be it would be Cassandra Kane. I love it. I love okay. it so. I love it so much. Because um, I'll talk about the art okay. in a bit. But like, because uh, like because Cassandra's like you know, oh my god, everything's pain and I am hurting. And then like you look back and Cassandra's like fast asleep and it's just like ha. So I mean, yeah, it, it's you, you kind of wonder because Shiva has the same sort of body language reading techniques that Cassandra Kane's supposed to. So it's it's one of those things where like is it, is it speed? Is it, is it just the pure? She did not see that coming. She wasn't looking out for it, which I think could be the latter because she does it with a broken arm. And whatever. Is it realistic? No, it's not. But like, I think it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's all I wanted to hear is that it wasn't realistic. It does remind me of the one punch that Batman gives Guy Gardner because uh, I think that lays him out too. Um, so I would you said like mother like daughter. I'd say also like uh, adopted father like oh, adoptive yeah. daughter. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anything else on eight for you? I 
love the artwork so much that I kind of wish they were always drawn like this. And like again, Damian Scott is, a, is an incredibly dynamic artist. His artwork changes wildly. It's already changed from how it looked in issue one. And I would say it, it, even with the same inker, it changes from issue eight to issue nine just a little bit. Like it varies between like uh, detail to like kind of something a little bit more uh, uh, dynamic and kind of stylized. But there's a lot of like wind blowing in through their hair and stuff. There's a lot. Of, there's a great shadows. Okay, so and not not to kind of again conversation upon conversations, but like in this issue, Lady Shiva's Lady Shiva and Cassandra Kane's Cassandra Kane. You know, they just happen to be like two Asian women in this comic book, and they look different. Like mm-hmm. you can you can you can see like the constant cutting back between like like their faces. They're not the same person. You know, they're not you know they're not drawn with the same exact eyes, but they're still recognizably like you know human beings with like you know is the word asiatic I don't know, but like you know the kind of asian features but at, at, at the mm-hmm. same time it's not even like stereotypical you don't they don't look caricatures they don't look like minstrels or whatever and i i, I just think and also they're very appealing like just on a, on a comic book artist artist level i love how cassandra kane is like almost like real real thin like she's she has no body fat on her you can see like her six pack in one shot and like um it's one of those things where you can kind of imagine a skinny, small Asian girl being seemingly harmless. But it's one of those things where, like, she's still Cassandra Kane, so she can still be as effective and deadly, even though she looks like a normal person. She doesn't look statuesque. She doesn't look voluptuous. She just looks like a skinny Asian girl who can beat your butt. And Shiva, there was a topic on Twitter a few days ago about, like, what's her best look? And like, I kind of came into her through Death in the Family and Nightfall, where she kind of had that sort of ninja look. But I really like this sort of, like, super – not even super villain, this sort of, like, this this purple overcoat. It's 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 so over-the-top and, like, fabulous. I just think it's really cool. And, like, the shot where the gun falls into her hand as she's just grinning at her would-be victim, points in her hand, it's like, nothing personal. I just think that's that's, like, the coolest thing. Yeah. She is so cool in this. It's a good costume that she has, or good outfit, I'll say, because it allows her to be on the streets without seeming nefarious. I mean, I think is this the same outfit she? No, I suppose is it? I think the she same wears one this she again. had at the restaurant. Oh, I mean, issue issue eight is. is oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is all one day? Okay, yeah. So I mean, it's something that she wouldn't. There wouldn't be any red flags. But no, I agree. I think there are awesome panels. I mean, it's so simplistic, but. Well, there's a double-page spread, which is really great, and that's when her – I guess that's when her shoulder pops out of joint. Oh, yeah. um, and then there's the just the blood splatter, uh, but it's reversed, so the, the the red is the background, but the black is the blood splatter. Oh, yeah, and nice. then you just have uh, Shiva walking away and, and the motion of Cassandra's arm going down. And then you talk about windblown, and the one panel – let me find it, is uh, with her saying, I don't kill, and just the close-up on her face and the and her hair, you know, going across her face and everything. And I agree with you because you brought up a point that I was going to make. The fact that there are some times that I am looking at a character and then I'm shocked to have revealed his or her ethnicity because I either had this idea or it just wasn't in my in my opinion, presented very well. Like for the longest time, Helena Bertinelli in the Rebirth Birds of Prey, uh-huh. I was like, I couldn't tell. I'm like, well, her skin is darker, but that could be like, you know, the olive tone Mediterranean. But then, no, she actually is. She is um, 
I don't know if she technically would be African American since she's she still has Italian, but you know, so she is she's not white. Let's just say that uh, she's a person of color. But it just took so long until you know narration has to kind of help because you're like scratching your head. And with Asian characters, I think it's also difficult because there's such a fine line between almost making it like offensively so, you know, with their eyes and everything. But I think it's it's done really well with Shiva here that you can tell, but it's not over dramatically so. And then because we know that Cass has a white father, you have that blending there, which I think is really well done. So I agree with you there that I think they portray uh, these two strong Asian female characters respectfully in the art. And also, I mean, I mean, I think it's I think it's implied in this issue, or maybe the next issue. But I don't, I don't think I don't, I'm, I don't think I know. We're not supposed to know that like David Kane is her father by this point. We find that out later in the run, but not in this issue. We just think that yeah. oh, she's just with some random a- Asian girl. Because like I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll say this. I remember telling this to Harry when I was when I was um, Harold Harry um, on the Battle Pound Pen of X when we were talking about this character. That ultimately, I don't I don't care for. I don't, it doesn't bother me that much, but like I think it's a better move to have these two characters not related. Because to me, it, it it feels it feels like you know um, Ray Palpatine. It feels like oh, oh surely Finn is the son of Mace Windu kind of thing. Where it's just like oh you know, you know people you know people of color are all related. It's, 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 it's kind of racist. People of color are all related to each other, and it's like you know again I, I I came into the character I think when I was already unearthed, so it doesn't bother me that much. But I like in this story. They are not. That's not written yet. That's not written for like another several years. So like they're written just to be like. Uh, attack like hero and rival and i love that because they're they have their own they have their own understandable connection that's not you know your basic comic book you know my evil mother is just like i just think it's so much cooler that that they just have this connection that's not dictated by blood and again the fact that like they you know they seem to be just different people while still being mm-hmm. like there's no there, no there's no like you know gender language in this i'm uh, there's no like you know oh little girl or whatever. It's just like like she says my bracelet please come and get it. It's just like like, like I love that so much as as like an action fan as like just a comic book fan. It just to me it's, it's so uninterested in signposting. Oh look they're Asian or look they're women. It just it's just so pure <laughs> in what it is and yeah. it's and it's a Batgirl comic book. To me, it's like, you know, you read background comic books and it's like, you know, oh, high-flying adventures and, and superheroes, you know, swinging from the rooftops. It's, no, they're like fighting about like – not even – it's not even so much like, you know, honor or whatever. It's all, it's like personal interest. And you, you don't get more interesting than that when the, when the characters drive the story. You know, what, what is the plot of this story? Batgirl gets in a fight with Shiva. But like what's the, the, what's the, the layers and the fundamental core of the story? These two characters are at an impasse. You know, they're – not trying to kill each other by the end of it, but they, they kind of had this sort of like disagreement about, you know, how they should use their own personal gifts. That to me is so much more engaging than just, I must stop my evil Asian mother from killing everybody. I don't know. There's, I can never get past it's 11 o'clock and my, my draft is due kind of like quality of that. And to me, this, this, this is just more interesting. Oh, there's a character called Lady Shiva. Let's put her in a Batgirl comic where Batgirl's a great fighter. That That's all you kind of need. And it's, it's almost... It's it's genius and its simplicity in my opinion. What are your what are your thoughts on their relationship? I think you know I like that it's it's a I like the plot twist of it. I mean we're spoiling things for stuff that has yet to happen. Um, I think once we get there, I'll explore it a bit more because it is a bit weird. You know, just that she. <laughs> 
had relations with David Kane and kind of, you know, draw, carried her to term, but, you know, also not a character. <laughs> and then just like, and just like dropped her off and said, see ya. Now, you know, you can do whatever you want with this thing that I raised. Uh, so it's, it's just very impersonal, which I guess is Shiva, but I think once we get there, I'll, I'll probably analyze it a bit more. But it, I will say on the, you know, just saying, oh, Shiva is Cassandra. One, I'm like, oh, wow, plot twist. But two, it's also kind of makes this world small. Like, yeah. oh, of course, one Asian character has to be the mother of the other Asian character. So that would be like my, without having reread those stories, my criticism of just because we have two Asian women going around and one's uh, could be mothering age doesn't necessarily mean that she is the mother of Cassandra Kane. So I get what you're saying about that. Also, if you remember in Death of Family, when Batman dode around with the sodium pentothal and says, have you had any children? She says, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Combat, yeah. Would she have been born then? Yeah, she would have because, like, I mean, like, if you go by the, if you go by the general timeline in this issue from, like, Death in the Family, Jason would have died, like, honestly, like, uh, three years ago. So, like, yeah, she, she would have easily, but she, she would have already left uh, David Kane by that point. Hmm. Even though it was in 1989 or 1988, and, and this is 2000, like, like it, coming with timeline, it would have been much more of a sliding time scale. Yeah. Well, speaking of David Kane, as we move into episode nine, we see his wee wee. What? No, we don't. <laughs> Are you looking for that? Do you want to? I wanted to, to get your reaction. No, he is naked there. But, uh, you know, what's really interesting about this whole scene, number one, that he's coming at, didn't he visit him before and couldn't he have arrested him for killing those two officers? That was a bit bizarre before. But think about how desperate Batman is to go visit Kane in order to get some insight into potentially teaching Batgirl. Um, so this is, I would say, both positive and negative. You can tell, I think, from this how much Batman does care for Cass and is trying to get her back up to speed. But it also is a bit crazy. Like, let's go to this obvious sociopath um, <laughs> and let's look at the reels to see how he taught us. Uh, so Clear, you know, David Kane's not a master teacher either. Though I guess you know it's also kind of benefit of the doubt because Kane did have a hand in training Batman. But yeah, just what do you think about this scene and that he goes and looks at the the highlight reels, ESPN style of of, of Cass's training? <laughs> I wonder what Stephen A. Smith would say. I think that like this is this is kind of a I, I want to say. I need to find a synonym for iconic because I don't think it's an iconic moment exactly, but another it's another one that sticks in my mind because you see just like the plain fact of these these this footage where he just shoots her from behind like this kid and yeah she she disarms him and stuff, but to me I think you can kind of get lost in the comic book logic of it. But when you kind of go back to Batman, Batman's like oh my god, and and Kane's like I am so proud. Like those are two very different reactions to you know that that Batgirl's fathers have to this, and you know. Kane can't not he cannot wipe the smile off his face in terms of self satisfaction and he's and he's so much he's so prideful. And I've talked about this before. Where Batman is like uh, an offended father in this, where he he basically you know he's he's seeing very explicit child abuse on on, on film in the way of like you know oh I don't know shooting a little girl and he says no I'm not here I'm not, I'm not here to arrest you I'm just gonna make you wish that I had because like you see over the next course of issues that he that they, he beats the crap out of him. I don't have any problem with him because, like, who else knows 
the origins of her fighting style rather than the guy who trained her. So like I don't I don't see I don't think yeah. it's like I don't I don't think it's it's such a out of left field move for him to make. No, I but it just shows his desperation, I think. Sure. Um that he would go. Yeah. I mean go to the source of course, but just knowing what he knows about David, I think is is interesting that he would go there. I don't think he really cares about like how much about, about how much Cassandra wants to get better. Like he he I think I think he's doing that for her as well. It's not just that, you know, oh my my oh, partner, yeah, you know, she's a tool for me. Like, I think he's like tr- doing the best he can for her. No, yeah, I agree. I I think that we see. I don't have any criticisms. I think of Batman in this particular story, which you can write that down in your journal that I said that. But I, I think <laughs> you, to a certain extent, have to read between the lines. But just in his actions, I can tell that he really does care for her, and is also, you know, considering uh, I've been here before with my partners, and bad things have happened, and so he doesn't want that to happen to her. Um, but one of my favorite scenes, actually, in this is when they both were beat up, and you. Know, they're like oh what happened to you at the same time i think that's a very cute moment but i did want to say because you talked about the shooting obviously and she doesn't flinch <laughs> which is a detail that comes back up but i'm glad it comes back because i think she talks to tim about it i think it might pop up mm-hmm. at another point or that might be the time that there's a flashback but uh i'm glad that they had that detail in here because it's, it's something i really like about Cass that she gets shot and she doesn't flinch because she would get in trouble if she did in fact uh flinch mm-hmm. So we're coming to uh, this is the the one thing that I have an ex- an extreme problem with. Oh, really? There is yes. Are you ready for this? I would like you to explain it. There is no way in hell that Barbara Gordon would have contacted Lady Shiva on Cassandra's say so. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and there's no, there's not even, there's not even an argument. It's just like, can you contact for someone for me? And then nothing. You know that Barbara would have gone off and said, absolutely not. That is the one thing that I have a problem with that I don't think you can explain that away. That is just like convenient. So please let me see if you can dance around that one. I sure can't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will say. That this death duel, which like, like whenever they ask her about it, she's like, "Oh, nothing." Oracle immediately tells Batman in the in, the, in the later issues. It's, it's not it's off it's off panel land, which which is your favorite vacation spot. But it's evident yeah. it's evident that like you know basically she does this, but but she goes to Bruce and is like something's wrong with her. But she 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 asked me to do this. Um, but no, you're right. It, yeah, this is one of those things where like Oracle is kind of like as a supporting character for. for Cassandra's protagonist role is it is kind of read like you know number one engage thrusters kind of thing where it's just like Oracle please send a message to the one person that you told me not to go anywhere near last month <laughs> I will yeah. I will throw my hands up and admit that like that's convenient for the plot and doesn't make any sense yeah okay thank you yeah because that's the you know I've got to watch out for what Barbara Gordon does and that just was like there's just no way so i'm glad you agree with me see i don't i don't purposely pick at things in these issues to get at you like i do have you know a a reason to why i i pick up on um but no i mean well do you have anything else to say about nine oh nine um probably i mean my my by far away my favorite issue is eight but it's all like one story i like you know i like the the scene at david kane's 
again, like like the 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 inner monologue of Cass, I, I think they're meant to denote kind of emotions rather than like specific thoughts. Because she says, when she says, "Why are all the people who can help be completely insane?" That's a funny line, but I really don't think she sees Batman like that. And I'm not trying to like you know mm-hmm. like 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 stand back, leave Batman alone. But I honestly like continuity wise, don't think she has him. She doesn't really consider him any way negative until like issue 50 when they have a falling out also you know like i don't think oracle's insane um um so it's oh yeah no so it's one of those things where like you know i think the emotion might be there it's like you know what's up with these these people but at the same time it's kind of, it's a use of language which again like this is the last issue where you see something like that mm-hmm. i also think that like again in terms of convenience it is a little convenient for her to just in the belief and i give her her skills back I love where it goes, so it's ultimately justified, but it does kind of feel like an out by the end of this issue. But yeah, no, again, uh, favorite moments. I also like the moment, like the moment where they both say, you okay, and then kind of hide their own injuries. And Yeah. It's, yeah. it's sweet. No, yeah. It, this issue actually kind of reads yeah, pretty quickly, really but um, mm-hmm. I, I still enjoy it. Yeah, and of course her getting her, her suit back is also, I think, a, a great moment as well, and that she gave it. I'm I love sorry. the look on her face where she's, where she's like, ah, yes. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, she she earned it too, and in less time, I assume, than she thought she would have, because that was a year, right? Is what his original timeline was going to be. So uh, we'll get to our overalls now. Would you like to go first? Because I can only imagine. Uh, or do you want me to go first? Oh no, you go first. <laughs> Save okay. wilds for last. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ten. Let's see. What should we make it out of ten bracelets? Oh yeah, that makes Would sense. That be good. Mm-hmm. 10 bracelets. Okay. So I, I, I really enjoy this. My two biggest issues, of course, were the time or just, you know, having that better explained, but it just seemed very quick. And then, of course, Barbara Gordon, I think, uh, like I said, would not have contacted Lady Shiva. But having Cass, who is, I don't want to say overpowered because, you know, people make those comments and everything, but is practically perfect uh, in her fighting style at the beginning of this run and, and in No Man's Land and see her losing that and here seeing her training and trying to get that back uh, has been enjoyable. I actually like, you know, training scenes and films and, and seeing people who have fallen down get back up again. So I really like that. I think Batman is presented very well. I don't think that he's a jerk in any of these issues, which I appreciate. Uh, see, I don't want him to be a jerk. I just point out rarity in is. you. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> well, write this down. Episode one ninety and uh, great scenes between Cass and Shiva. Obviously, uh, the fighting choreography is really well done. The art is great, and uh, Cass and Babs, those scenes are great as well. So, overall, it's a it's a great little arc, isn't it? Uh, I think I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10 bracelets. I will agree with you. <laughs> What'd you say? I will agree with you. What? <laughs> My number one episode is Max and Mary get married. Oh, <laughs> Oh, it feels that way. In my heart of souls. In the soul of my yes. heart. It's a 10. <laughs> yeah. I think that on a technical level, if we're talking about like like the characterization and the artwork, I mean, the, and the artwork is just chef's kiss, is a very good point about asking Oracle to like, you know, uh, basically send her, send her to her death for no reason and having it happen. And the timeline, the timeline, I don't think the timeline was a problem. I don't think it's inconsistent, but it is, it does leave one to wonder. You know, just when you're reading it, it's just like, okay, you know, when does she recover from this? Mm-hmm. So, 
I will say that like on the face of everything, you know, emotionally, it's this is a ten. This is this is to me is as best as you can read. But if you want to grade it on a an, an objective, like you know, things that will you'll be you'll be reading and then stop and think about on yourself, like those two bits, I think a nine point five is um, a much more intelligent way to to rate it. Well, I'm happy uh, that you're not completely brainwashed. <laughs> oh man oh so there you go we both agree on this and i think this is the most positive i've been uh in this uh the series so far and on batman it's probably the most positive i've been on batman how long will this last or or how how soon will this launch (laughs) that depends on batman It's not me. It's not me. Okay, so there you have it. So 9.5 from both of us out of 10 bracelets. Now we have some listener emails. Mail time. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Uh, so we have two one of them is from ian prime himself ian miller he says dear Sella, really enjoyed this month's episode despite the unfortunate state of the modern batgirl comics speaking of which i think we just passed the opportunity to do oh batgirl 250 oh wow adding steph babs and cass's runs all together such a shame oh man wouldn't that have been awesome oh, oh. I have never thought about, oh, man, that would have been really cool, actually. I must correct my boneheadedness in saying that the arc I love in Birds of Prey starts in 30. It is actually 31 through 35. All the Birds of Prey stories do sadly throw the modern stories in sharp contrast, sadly. It's not that there aren't good comics right now, but Batgirl is not getting the attention she deserves from editors making choices for creative teams. Yeah, I certainly agree there. Uh, Well, Ian, of course, you're penciled in on my little Excel document that you're going to be with me on 31 through 35. So I look forward to that. I isolation sniped Shag last week. No, I guess it was this week. And we were talking about comics, I think, and we'll we'll talk about this. But, you know, I said with, with what DC, I think, has planned or modern comics in general, it'll give me a break from Batgirl. And then he goes on. He's like, when was the last time you were happy with Batgirl? And I was like, oh, probably Birdside Run. And he's like, wasn't that 2015 or, you know, seven days? I don't even know. And he said, when are you going? And I'm like, yeah. So I've been in pain for all these years. And he said, what are you going to find your joy? But this is the nice thing about the show is that if it were only modern, I think I would probably have backed out by now. But the fact that I can do these, you know, vintage Birds of Prey and these Cassandra Cain backgirls, it's been a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, good story that'll build up my immunity against, like, the stuff that's not as good. So there you go. Uh, the other person that wrote in was Donovan Morgan Grant himself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh snap. Um, so, so he wrote in, not via email, but via comment on the website. And so since he's here, he can just read his own words to us. Oh, <laughs> uh, you, you played me. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's do this. Donovan writes, what a nice name. <laughs> I give anything for a permanent Stella Carolyn double act podcast, especially the kind in this app when y'all were trading shady blows at each other, XD. On the White Savior tip on BOP film, it was me that brought it up on QNOA. Carolyn had it exactly right as to why I said it was. 
is not the fact that Harley, who happens to be white, saving Cass, who happens to be Asian, that completely makes it white saviory, but the fact that the inclusion of Cassandra in the first place was fraught from the get-go, taking a strong, capable superhero from the comics and including her for the sole purpose of having one of Batman's villains rescue her, thereby weaponizing the racial diversity by erasing the agency that makes her original heroic vision embodied, not to mention erasing her disabilities, makes her a white savior Narr- makes it a white savior narrative. If Cass was named A.B. Joe Jackson, it would be as much <laughs> problematic because the story ends up being the white hero saving the POC. But the fact remains that the film uses Cassandra Kane's name to draw more interest in Harley due to her role in the movie as it relates to Harley, that being a kid who's just as bad as her, looking up to her and ultimately wanting to be her. Cass exists in the film to enhance the viewer's opinion of Harley as a character. That meta narrative is the more pernicious white savior element in the movie that was wholly unnecessary and inexcusable. Well, thank you, Donovan. Stella, what did you think of Donovan's remarks? Oh, my gosh. I, I thought it was funny that you mentioned us trading blows there. And what's interesting is because I think she's used to it. I think everyone's used to it. Uh, I wonder sometimes how I'm perceived from new listeners. Like, she's really mean uh, because I do dig into people. But I don't expect it from Carolyn. So whenever it happens, it's pretty hilarious. So I'm glad that you enjoyed that. I'm glad that she uh, puts up with it and she gives back as, as good as she gets. The white saver, savior, I like how you presented it there. It's not exactly, but the way you presented it almost made me think of women in refrigerators. Uh, the sen- Is that kind of related? The fact that, you know, a woman would be victimized in order to get to a man, but here it's just um, switching. Yeah sex slash gender for uh ethnicity yeah it's, it's, it's like what, what, it's, it's not so much like you know what do you look what does the plot say but what is the utilization what is the what does the decision make of it it's like honestly i was thinking about this it's like if you had storm and instead of being like you know remember the x-men like, you know hero in her own right you introduce storm as a kid who looks up with and follows around loki and by the end of the day, she runs mm-hmm. off with loki and it's you know oh they're the best of friends loki you know will always protect storm and it's like I'm trying not to swear. <laughs> you know, it's it's like that's wrong. You don't do that. To, you don't do that to that character. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I so I can see it there. I'm trying to work through this white savior. I actually recently rewatched Isle of Dogs, which I absolutely love. All right. Um, and then I was trying to find some information because I was watching it with someone. You know, the the Google chatting and watching it at the same time. And she actually pointed out it. It took a uh, former student of mine to to point out that the, <laughs> the uh, girl what's her name i think her name's tracy uh, i just watched it so i should remember is a senior and she has a crush on the 12 year old boy and i never noticed that before because i know she has a crush on him but i never really connected like oh she's a senior in high school so anyway oh, i thought you meant a senior citizen I, so I was, oh my god no, 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 in high school. And I thought, well, maybe it's senior and junior high. But no, it's actually senior in high school. <laughs> um, but then I was looking up just to like clarify because that's kind of – it's a little weird um, and skeevy. And uh, then there were all these articles about Tracy being a white savior in that particular film. I'm like, oh, no, not again. So it's just – it's unfortunate. But but I get what your explanation is here and I like that and I think I'll be on the lookout for, for this a bit more. Yeah, as long as, as, long as you, you... – you get where I'm laying down because, like, it's not. I, I do. Because I, I, you know, people like, like, let's say, readers of color, like, we all have different opinions about this. Like, 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 Hasi Code says we don't want to talk about race all the time. You know, like, like, yeah. if Batman or let's say, like, like Batgirl saving um, Kadir or Frankie. You know, mm-hmm. is that white savior narrative? I guess technically, 
but like, are we really going to be? Are we really going to be mad about it because those are supporting characters in her run, and she is the hero? Yeah. Like, like that's it's a technical thing, but like your emotional investment will vary. Some people might not like it. Some people might not care about it. I think this instance is something that. I see a lot of people saying, well, if you're a Cassandra Kane fan, you won't like it, but otherwise, you know, you can let it go. It's like, I, I honestly think that it's a lot more harmful than people are presuming just because the film is as good as it is. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, again, you know, if, if you want to hear me, you know, cry more about it, listen to uh, like two months ago's episode on Kunoi. I think also, you know, you have to look at the character. Could the character stand up for his or herself? And I think in this, in the case of Kadir, probably, you know, he kind of seems like a wimpy kind of guy. He probably couldn't do it on his own. Uh, Frankie, I think we, we have seen that she's certainly capable of other stuff. So I think that's also true. Like, are you taking down a notch someone who is fully capable of defending herself or himself mm-hmm. in, in order to, to highlight this white person? You know, also – Doing it for them. When I, when I was playing The Last of Us last night and I met uh, – this is spoilers, but when I met Sam and Henry – the moment I saw them, I knew they were dead men. <laughs> oh, like, man. they're, they're, it's un- black people don't last in these in these kinds of stories. They really, it's unfortunate. No, because I was watching Resident Evil Extinction with Harold last night, and um, the black character. Well, actually, there were two black characters. They both died. Now that I think about it, and the Brazilian character who was played by an Israeli actor. Um, but <laughs> the black, the main black actor, I would say, he survived from the previous one, and then uh, all of a sudden he was uh, he was suddenly attacked by a zombified cop, and so I was type texting to Harold. I was like, oh gosh. Luckily, he beat him, but I thought this would be really bad optics if this white zombie cop killed this black man. Um, luckily, it did not happen, but he did get bitten by a zombified white woman. Uh, but you're right, though. is That's the cliche, and I think even Scary Movie talks about it or whatever, you know, that it's always the black guy who goes first. Because it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. So we're going to take a break, people, and when we come back, we're going to review <laughs> – we'll see. Is it better than the other one? We're going to review Batgirl 45, also known as Batgirl 97. Or potentially – I should – maybe I <laughs> maybe I should count everything up and maybe it is 250. Um, so I should say like 97 slash 45 slash 250 depending on your uh, numbering. But first, uh, Zias's Radio Hour featuring – Goldfinger Ooh. by Shirley Basie. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Goldfinger. Oh, Oh! 
So we are back. Before we talk about this only modern issue that we have, I did want to bring up and at least address uh, the delays that I think will be inevitably happening. As I said at the beginning with the sponsorship, Diamond is not putting anything out. And that sort of means that if they're not distributing then it'd probably be useless to produce comics to a certain extent unless we're going digital only. What do you think is on the horizon with our publishers and, and getting monthly comics? It's a, it's, this is another part of history that we're experiencing because everyone has always talked about the death knell of the comic book industry. And this is a real blow that, that means something. DC and Marvel are going to be fine. DC, AT&T and Warner Brothers owns the DC characters. Disney owns Marvel. Those characters aren't going away. But think about Boom Studios. Think about Image Comics. Think about mm. Aspen Comics, which I know closed down publications. Think about Dynamite Comics. Um, not to mention the shops. You know, uh, Hideo Comics mm-hmm. by, ran, ran by Eddie and Chris and D'Angelini. My comic shop, The Great Escape. Like, like the industry is seeing a real threat to how they do business. And maybe the five dollar an issue comic was never sustainable. Uh, uh, but like in terms of like the tradition of getting comics, usually is going to change. Another thing, and then, and then again, this, we don't have to talk about it now, but just to kind of just have it be mentioned, another interesting thing that happened is that Dan and Hill was fired. So yeah. currently the only publisher is, at the moment is Jim Lee. Was he fired? Or are you just saying that? No. I, I thought he left willingly. He was removed. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's very interesting. And we, and we don't know why, but like, he, yeah, he was he was removed from his position. So things are happening at DC, particularly with like with the, the future of like the characters and stuff. So these are interesting times that uh, – well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not surprised that like, they're going to be affecting the distribution of um of uh the bat books. Is there an interim? I mean, is it sort of Jim Lee and Jeff Johns working together to be the interim leader of this, or is there just a void? Well, Johns Johns technically left after he did Rebirth Number One, and he he wrote up all of uh, Doomsday Clock. But like, I think he's like DC's chief creative officer. Which I don't think, I don't think he does that anymore. I'm not sure what he does specifically right now, but he's not what he used to be. He used to, he, he's not in the position he used to be. So as of this moment, as of this recording, as far as I understand, the sole publisher is Jim Lee. I don't think that'll. I don't okay. think that'll last. I hope it doesn't last. Um, but like to my knowledge, that, that that's the sole publisher of DC at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, I had not i mean i saw that he left like that was the the verbiage i think that i had seen so to hear that he was removed i'm gonna have to see that a bit more so that's really interesting um he's been on since what new 52 or before dio came on around the time of hush around 2002 okay okay wow interesting big time Wow. Well, I mean, it is, it's a business. So it could either be that they're not doing as well or something else that's a, a seedier. Who knows? Uh, well, yeah. So that's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it would all be guessing, right? I do worry about the local comic shops. I think that's a great concern because, and I was talking to Shag about this. I'll bring up a couple of things that Shag had said because I asked him about this because he was in that business and, and he knows a lot of stuff about it. I feel like comics are still a bit niche. I think that it's bigger now that these comic movies have come out, so people are more into getting comics. But at this current stage, it's not 
like the number one thing or even top 10 thing that people are worried about, you know, am I still going to get my comics? Oh yeah. And so I, I feel like, you know, Barnes and Noble will be fine. You know, people like books, there's still the potential of order, ordering online and things like that. But comic stores, I just don't, you know, I, I don't think that's on people's radar. And, and a lot of times on Instagram or Twitter, you know, people are reaching out and, and trying, you know, donations, you know, trying to get them in there because, uh, if they go, you know, they can't pay their rent and then they're gone. But if you – I think Shag brought this up that it'll be interesting for the owners of those shops that even if they kick out the local comics store, it's not like they're going to get anyone – any new tenant to come in during this time either. So you almost wish that there'd be grace given to some of these businesses. Um, I do wonder that – that's an interesting thing to potentially look up like what does that look like for people who – even Barnes & Noble or Panera, you know. Uh, well, I'll say Barnes & Noble because we know that's kind of closed down for a certain uh, period of time. Mm-hmm. Or can they still pay rent and what does that look like if you can't? The other thing to consider that uh, Shag brought up is that the reason digital comics are two ninety nine or three ninety nine is because the print comics are that amount of money, and so if print comics aren't happening, there's and they decide to still publish, there's no reason why the digital comics can't drop down their prices, and if they drop down their prices, then printing. You can't have a one ninety nine or ninety nine cent digital comic, and then have a two ninety nine paper. I mean, you could, but no one's going to want to buy two ninety nine when they can get ninety nine digital. And so, if that happens, then again, you lose your you lose a lot of distributors, uh, and the local comic book shops obviously go under as well. Um, so, these are all considerations and things I think that we've now it's happening, or you know, they just take a break. And don't, you know, think of that just a weird time of there aren't any new comics coming out. That's so weird. I I asked Mm -hmm. uh, Shag and and Alan Middleton, like, have you ever, has this ever happened? And he's like, not to my knowledge, you know. Uh, So it's just a really weird and interesting time. I mean, I guess part of the world would be like, why are you, you know, why do you care about comics? But there's more to it than that because there are the people who are creating the comics. That's their job. There are the people who are selling the comics. That's their job. Uh, And you you have entertainment, which again goes back to, I think, mental and emotional health that, hey, uh, escapism and having fun and having conversations with people like we are right now. So, whoo, this is, yeah, a big unknown. Yeah, it's it's kind of the, the wilderness at this point. And I, I don't want to see because I saw a tweet that like kind of disparaged Diamond and say it's it's a, it's a good thing that that goes away, but I don't want to see the shops go away. Uh, yeah. just, just because, the, the, you know, the reason the shops are there is because they're they're fans as well, you know, as, as well as being a business. But like, uh, if if it feels like such a uh, ruthless part of the industry that like that's you know the characters will probably be fine, but like like the people who kind of maintain getting them out to fans will will take the blows the worst, and that that to me is awful. Absolutely. Uh, so so I guess girl. you know, depending. <laughs> yeah, I know. So girl, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I feel like it's a tough time. I mean, what to do financially, you know, you have to worry about yourself, unfortunately, and others that might be in your dependent care. And so there's always the option of donating or whatever is happening. Um, I, there might still be grab and go situations for your local comic store. But always think about that. I have recently been thinking about the homeless population, because we have shelters and things mm-hmm. around here. And I wonder what that is like. And I saw an image. I can't remember where it was. But People, this place painted 
uh, blocks in a parking lot for homeless people so that they were socially distanced away from each other. Uh, of course, they're still outside, which is the mm. issue. But um, so I've been thinking about that as well. So, you know, depending on where you if you want to donate is one thing and then where you want to put that. But uh, yeah, there are just a lot of people. Again, yeah, these stats are not just uh, numbers, but there's stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, but yeah, so sorry about that uh, depressing talk. But I just thought I'd let you know that I don't know if there's a 46 um because that would come out at the end of april so i don't know if there will be a 46 um so this could be the last new one we have for a couple months uh which is personally it sounds really bad but personally it might be good for my mental health to not have to read that girl so i'm sorry about that um i guess i'll expand something i don't know uh but the cover which kind of confused me who owns gotham i think it's a tie-in to bat i'm actually really out of the loop with batman stuff this is the only batman related thing i'm reading um so who owns gotham is the cover it it kind of doesn't really connect to the inside but here we go this is batgirl 45 or 97 or 250 who knows it's called inner light and we have the artist that i care for more back so we'll talk about this writer cecil castellucci artist carmine di giandomenico and colorist jordi belair as we begin jason is suddenly running away from the changing homeless person whereas in the previous issue he was already at a distance away from her when batgirl arrives uh so a bit of a disjointedness there the woman is still alive and attracting electricity or something is shot at her it's hard to tell i wrote that yesterday i think she is attracting electricity given what i now know about everything and she is speaking russian Batgirl tries to stand between the electricity and the woman but her gadgets get shorted and suddenly some men arrive in tactical gear subdue Batgirl, and take the woman into a van Batgirl gets out of her restraints and swings onto the van, cuts a hole into it, and grabs a guy to interrogate him on the way. It's like a grab-and-go. She is suddenly distracted when the woman is flung out of the vehicle. So Batgirl releases that guy and goes to her rescue instead, catches her. She says, the woman says her name is Ivan, and she's a scientist. Batgirl collects some samples while Ivan is tended to by medical professionals and she realizes Batgirl realizes that they are nanobots which of course she has a bad experience with that pool together into a liquid at the clock tower she conducts several experiments and works out at the same time when Jason contacts her as Batgirl um, oh yeah wasn't she supposed to be Barbara at his apartment hmm. hey. a little <laughs> a little earlier that morning Jason returns to the alley to apologize to Ethel Ethel Ivan, now we know, when another homeless person who has taken some of the nanotech speaks Russian also and knocks Jason out. Then Batgirl contacts Jason, kind of confusing, and tells him to meet her. I don't know what that was about. They both investigate the alley. Babs tries to encourage Jason Again, Jason defaults to Babs doesn't like me, Jason mode. Batgirl goes to the hospital and visits Ethel Ivan in the morgue because she died. And she gets a text from Izzy that she is needed at Alejo headquarters. So apparently she's still not fired. Man, I should make a Twitter thing of fire Barbara, fire Barbara. 
Alejo's newest directive involves power and electricity, making the city grid-free so that if any part of the city suffers some catastrophe, it won't affect the others. So I think maybe this is connected with what's going on in Batman, whatever that may be. Izzy offers a suggestion, but apparently the woman in question could barely light a bulb, as Barbara says. Barbara is called upon for some suggestions since she had her own clean energy company which we haven't mentioned for a while now and i wonder how alicia is doing (laughs) but she um she's called upon for some other reason which i think the the test results came in from her experiments and she has to rush out and again she's not fired uh and apparently she's also angry at bruce for something since she says uh i could ask him uh even though i'm angry at him Uh, maybe because alfred is dead Uh, you can tell me what that is yeah Okay, you can tell me what – you are clear – you've got the, the – your finger, your finger on the pulse of Batman, so you can clear up anything uh, if you want. My finger's on my own throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, and I will say, even though I'm interrupting this, that it's funny. I asked you to do the plot synopsis for Cassandra, for Batgirl, and you, the other Batgirl, and you say, yes, because I don't trust you to not be sarcastic about it, but you're fine with the sarcasm I put in all of these. That's really interesting. I don't care about and, these. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess because this one deserves it. Who knows? Um, okay, so she's angry at Bruce or something. So her computer, when she gets back to the clock tower, says the property of the nanotech mimics wire gold, which is rare and highly conductive. One company invests in that type of rare metal, Senya Metal, headed by, <gasps> would you believe it, Dasha Belova, the person who could barely light a bulb. Uh, so convenience. Uh, Babs contacts Izzy and Vallejo saying that they should actually set up a meeting with her. She changed her mind. They go to a presentation by Dasha who talks about bringing clean energy to the people and how she lost her mother and others to science. After oh, the presentation, oh, oh, oh. Jason. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Swords! Yeah, there you go. I was waiting for it. After oh oh oh, uh, after the presentation, Jason and his bum knee question mark uh, is avoiding Babs. Uh, she thinks that now she has to be the one to take the lead. Good gosh! And they all visit the da- the tank, the dank. They all visit the tank of gold nano. She uh, Dasha has used it as prosthetics because the gold reacts with the electricity of the human body. Uh, but she wants to start threading buildings with it because the metal will be recharged by the wind and the sun. So there's your clean energy. During the tour, another metal statue is brought in, and it happens to be the homeless man who knocked out Jason. Jason contacts Batgirl with Barbara standing right next to him. Uh, Barbara dawdles a bit and gets in trouble by a guard because she's investigating. And then Batgirl returns at night and infiltrates the lab, seeing more statues. She's, my gosh, she is surprised by Batwoman, who is after a mercenary. There is a scuffle, of course, because, you know, heroes, whenever they meet, like to get into a a fight. J'accuse. J'accuse. Oh, brother. J'accuse, mon petit fromage. You speak four languages. How come none of them is French? Nothing's wrong with my French. You just called me your little cheese. That's right. Batgirl rushes out and is attacked by KG Beast. Batwoman is knocked out. Ugh, and Batgirl is going to be the next test subject of this nanotech. So next up is Statues of Unlimitations. <laughs> okay, Donovan. Let us start off with happy things. Uh, did you have a favorite panel or panels of art? Sorry. 
<laughs> you're forgiven <laughs> for whatever you did. <laughs> I liked uh, a couple panels. I like the panel. It's a, it's um, I don't know what page is on, but it's the uh, the final horizontal shot of Batgirl tied up with that that cable. I just think it's very well illustrated. And I also like the panel of her with Jason Bard, Batgirl that is, when she says, call that girl you like. When she's like kind of looking at the camera, was like, I'm Barbara. <laughs> like, I, my observation of this artwork is that what I think doesn't help the run in having you care about what's going on is that like, I think the artwork is technically good, but there's so much distancing from the characters. There's so much... Like 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 wide shots and background shots and like you know shot shot shots far away that like it's rare to get to see the people up close and kind of get mm-hmm. get a read of their emotions. So like I do like those shots because they do they, they do those things. Do you like this artist? I mean, Gian Domenico was the one that has been with Casalucci for the most part of this run. Do you like Carmine better than Tormi from the previous two issues with the Unearth? No, that one, that one, that, that one, barely. That, that one um, was kind of felt like like weak tea in comparison. I don't, th- I don't mm. think that this artist. Uh, let me. I better get the name right because I know it's Italian. Because it, it looks, it reminds me a lot of Giuseppe Camincoli from Spider Man, but I know it's not. Mm, okay, but Carmine D. Giandominico, like I think, is a good artist. I don't think the art works well for a background title because it just looks too technical to like like overly detailed a little too serious that like there's always these sort of like you know rust color skies which aren't exactly red and i i, I don't want to necessarily complain about the artwork i just think that the tone is off and it's continually off like i think it's solid artwork i would like to see this artwork on any other title that they're, um, they're doing great work I, it throws me off reading it in a background title where it's, it's, it's just uninvolving to me it, it, is, it is too cold it's too clinical it's just it's, it's not it doesn't have the the interest of because even like um you know if we're not going to get babs tar or camera stewart i thought like the artist who who worked on um, hope larson's run was solid so mm. that's what, I, what do you think yeah uh no i agree i think that's the issue with these stories at its core is that Batgirl is not fun and in the sense of you know we could say in the sense of enjoying but just like the tone is heavier than i think it ought to be because barbara gordon i think and Batgirl as the name uh it should be lighter uh and not to say that all these things that she goes up against is superficial but it's all just like really yeah really serious and dark to a certain extent or she's facing things that i think maybe she shouldn't be facing and of course it is also redundant just her trying off her new life again so um because i do like the art but i i agree that i think it's not that it doesn't fit with Batgirl as as much as it could i am glad gian domenico returned i think that potentially points to something maybe about this story and the change or transition from what it was intended where she went to Chicago because the fact that we had a placement artist or temporary artist for two issues must mean that maybe Casalucci had those Chicago Barbara senior 
issues already done and then that quick change happened and then they had to get a temporary artist so that's yeah interesting i will i uh like on page 12 for me where dasha or yeah dasha is talking about her past and in the middle of this particular page you got a close-up of her face in profile and she's talking about the explosion that killed her parents and other scientists uh and just the way that her her head profile which i can't tell yeah her profile or her head merges into that scene of the past and i don't know if that's her mind recreating it or if there's a connection with the gold because it does seem like there's that gold nano on her that tech is actually creating the scene but just i i think that's a pretty cool scene uh so you said you barely read unearth uh and one of my questions uh was what do you think about the transition from that particular story? I don't know how well you might be able to to speak on that since you weren't on for the previous ep- episode. But do you have any thoughts on the transition from those two issues to this? Because there's a connection, but we really like went away from it quickly. There's a uh, there's a connection. I mean, like I mean, I don't want to be mean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, you know, like, you like, have it, folks. I mean, like, you know, this title is just, just like, how many times do I got to come on here? And it's like, you know, next on Batgirl. Yeah, who cares? I, I think this is actually a, like a decent issue. I don't think there's anything wrong with this issue, like on, on, on the face of it. But like, it's just so, mm-hmm. it's weird. I, Cause I'm not trying to like, you know, the more, the further we get away from the Burnside stuff, the more I kind of see it in a, and I reviewed that book, but more I kind of see it in, in a better light because, I don't care about like all this business stuff, you know, Gordon, clean energy or whatever. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Not, not ridiculous, let's just say, but like, you know, they're trying to say that this, this character is like, is like 21 and not 32, but you know, she has this, this like, you know, this, this rich liberals, like, you know, environmental company. I, I never liked. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore because she's Peter Parker. Um, and they're doing, and they're doing, um, a uh, big time. The, the heart of this, of this run is her relationship with Jason Bard. Who's a douchebag? I mean, like, like wh- who who likes this version of the guy running around and, and literally her father's coat? I mean, not literally, but like wearing Gordon's jacket and stuff. And like, see, I, I can be, you know, a nice guy. You know, even though I never shave, it's just. I mean, I'm being mean. Um, this issue's fine. I think the transition of I, I didn't like the last story, which was why I didn't read part two. This one is a much straightforward comic book. I don't think the um, scene transitions work well at all, and I don't know if it's the artwork or the writing. But like the scene where she's where they're at, at um they're on that I don't know if it's a tour or whatever and like she's noticing like oh those those statues are, are people and then like the people are like you're not supposed to be in this this area this this you're not authorized to be in this zone and like where they come from like I thought that she was still with with the other members of the tour like I don't know if that that registers registers to you but like it feels like it's just kind of just put down on there and it's not meant to be like a, like a cohesive reading experience. Like she like 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 uh when she's um in the next scene at Gotham substation she's on a rooftop very next panel she said punching a guy where that guy come from you know it's 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 like it's a comic book just read it and and I, I feel that like where's the where's the love where's the heart just in any reading experience um I know we had questions about like you know the timeline with, with Cassandra Kane's book but like you know when we cut to a, a new a new scene we we're, there's at least an establishing shot of them being there but like you know where this person come from we're, you know oh Batgirl's here or I'm sorry Batwoman and she's in gray not black and the KG Beast is also in gray and not black it's it's I don't I mean again I, I think the writing is fine and the artwork is, is fine but like they don't I don't know if they come together for a wholly 
solid reading experience. Like like on their own, they're fine. But like for this title, I don't know if they make for what DC would want a Batgirl title to be. It, it just it just it feels like it's a very straightforward, technically interested comic book that doesn't really give you a sense of why you should read this, this comic book. Yeah. The as someone who did read both parts of Unearth, it's strange because they left on Earth and they were hurrying back to the same place because Batgirl needed to change into Barbara and Jason was going to profess his love to Barbara. And the assumption was that he may have done something to, you know, something may have happened because he's walking well, he's running, in fact. So something must have happened or, or carried over from Unearth. And Unearth was mentioned a couple times in this, but, you know, he doesn't question why she wasn't at his apartment when he got there. Uh, there's no conversation when they meet about that. It's really bizarre. Um, so it's almost as if the only clue that unearth happened is his ability to walk and that there's kind of this conversation about a relationship but even that was washed away because he had confidence all of a sudden and now he's like eh, i don't think babs likes me so it's like all of that stuff had been washed away so i feel like it was a poor transition if i were to put it kindly agreed with the time stuff uh, you picked out things that are different than the one thing that i focused on is when she's fighting and and uh sorry she's working out and she's in the clock tower she gets that message it says this is jason come meet mm-hmm. me at the alley between broad and 80th something's up and then Please. it says a little earlier that morning, and we see him get beat up. But then after he gets knocked out, it says uh, it's from Batgirl. It says, "Oh wait, oh never mind, never mind." <laughs> that that was me misreading it. So that's when he sent it. I misread it and thought that she had sent that to him, and I thought that that doesn't make sense. But what, what, I, what I even is, is the purpose of doing that? Kind of making making that that time slide like <sighs> gypsy topsy turvy. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure. And the fact that he knows that woman, um, there's just like a, a lot of uh, bizarre stuff that's happening. Batwoman showing up out of nowhere, which I'm fine with team ups, but that really was out of nowhere. And then, of course, why why does Batgirl, did I say Batgirl showed up out of nowhere? Uh, Batwoman. Oh, I did. Okay. But why why does Batgirl need to be aggressive against her all of a sudden? Is there reasoning? Do you know of any I mean, it says she accuses her of stuff. That's why I say j'accuse. I mean, if, you, if, you say to her? if I'm being fair, um, if you can be fair to Batman, yeah. I can be fair to Batgirl. Barbara Gordon, at least. When is, okay. After 2011, when has Batgirl gone up against any member of the Bat family and not just wanted to beat their ass? Oh, like I'm oh, not seeing her. This is not pathetic. <laughs> so you're calling Batgirl a jerk at this moment? Um, I don't know. It always seems like when there's somebody else uh, around, afoot, that she, yeah, her first inclination is to punch them or attack them. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, and it's all like you know, members of the Bat. It's, it's like she, she'll meet Harley Quinn. Like you know, oh, we're the best of friends. But like if it's like. If it's like Dick Grayson or Damian Wayne or like or, I, I, I don't know that she did the same thing to Stephanie Brown, or whatever, but it's just like she's fighting. He's like, "Hey, Batwoman, what are you doing here? Why are they fighting? <laughs> like, like know. they know each other. Know. They know each other. Who, who, who the person is? Like, it's, and like, I don't, I'm not. Sure, I don't even think that's a DC thing. It's just like, why, why does the writer? The I'm here for for a thing. There's not even a panel of them like trying to talk before they fight. It's just like the, the, it's like they don't know each other. And yeah. this is this is actually the opposite of like uh, what we're talking about with like the the, the two thousand Batgirl story, where yeah yeah Stephen and her got in a fight, but they can talk about you know what they're interested in because 
not everything requires t- fighting. Whereas this one kind of feels like it's on autopilot. And it's like, okay, they, they start fighting. Like, is the reader even supposed to be interested in the fight because the panels are so small? The artwork is, 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 is so re- relatively tiny and it's distance to where you're not invested in who's going to win. Like, do you want Batgirl to win or do you want Batwoman to win because it's tension? Like, what, does a writer know why this fight is even in here? I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like she's blaming her because she's been out of town and then Batwoman mentions alfred so what has been going on in bat i mean can you explain all that because maybe it ties in with this i guess batwoman's been out but yeah what what's been going on and why would barbara be upset with batman because that maybe this explains some reason but i do agree with you i don't know why that it's a cliche i think it's really it i haven't thought about it with barbara but that reflects very poorly on her um as well as the writing i actually have been reading spider-man 2099 and there's this spider-man 2099 meets spider-man and a special that i just read yesterday and it was funny because i had read this yesterday as well and uh peter parker spider-man says to miguel because once they meet their timelines match up he says, I know that this is the part where the heroes uh, get into like a fight, but let's skip it because, you know, there's more important things we need to do. So I appreciated that they address that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I can't explain it. I mean, it's it's dumb. Uh, but what do you know about the current, I guess, Batman titles and what's happening in Gotham? Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying that the Bat books are bad, but like that that Alfred special was 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 trash, and so the Bat family and when the Bat when I say the Bat family, I mean all the white ones go into like this bar. It's like you know, oh, don't worry, you know, Luke and Kate and Cassandra and Selina are watching the city, so we can warn Alfred because they didn't know. Batgirl, she almost like throws a drink in Bruce's face and yells at him, says, "I don't care that you're sad that Alfred, your father figure, is dead because my dad is a, is a zombie because you went off on some sort of sex vacation with Catwoman." Which, in fairness, is true. And she has a, when she said that, she's like, "Okay, she has to, absolutely has a point." Basically, during like when Bane took over Gotham City, and Batman. Um, was presumed to be dead. He was like kind of regaining himself with 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 Catwoman, and then there's that story that I'm not even sure what's going on, where Commissioner Gordon is like a zombie and blows the commissioner now. And oh, a legitimate zombie. Interesting. Yeah. Why hasn't that popped up? That would be something crucial to talk about in this book. You you, you think it would? <laughs> so I mean I mean I, I, that's a, that's a point, but like that scene. First of all, that was only there just for tension. Like uh, I'm so tired of her being mad at everybody. <laughs> like like that's. A, is that really how we're going to characterize? Like, this is how this is why she can be background because she's a strong woman who don't need no man. Like, it, it feels like it's that rather than something that's that's actually interested her as a character. And like to illustrate how strong she is, she'll she she won't like anybody. And so, you no, know, she absolutely has a reason to be mad at Bruce. That was that was dumb, and I didn't like it. But even that feels contrived. So it it, it feels like a means to an end rather than just like, well, these characters are. Rather, like, 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 again, to kind of just you know wax poetic about yesteryear, like Bruce spies on her, but she, but she knows that she spies on him in in Birds of Prey, and so that's annoying to her. That's character driven, mm. rather than this, this yeah. these these stories that don't even intersect, even though they would. And oh, let's mention them. You know, I'm gonna, I need to talk to Bruce, but I'm mad at him because continuity. It's like, it's like, really? You, you probably talked to somebody on the Justice League if you if you don't want to talk to him. So, it, it, no, sir, it stinks. I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it's interesting because it's almost pick and choose, like which continuities are you going to stick with or which pieces of other stories that are 
concurrently going on are you going to choose to put in here and or not so for instance that and this batwoman i would have left that alone and focused i didn't know about this jim gordon business i mean that would be more important i mean that's the most important relationship she has in her life but instead we're focusing on jason bard and under the guy you know she hated him under the guise that he had done what he did to to her father in Batman and Robin Eternal. So yeah, I don't I don't really get it. And this character is not the Barbara Gordon, you know, that we're reading, which that's something that Carolyn and I, you know, not not our Barbara Gordon. Uh, but it do, she doesn't have the history, so I don't think she has a right necessarily to be angry at a lot of the people that she's angry at. Uh, you and I may disagree on it, but I think she has a right at certain points to be angry at Batman for certain things that he does. I think he does step over the line sometimes with her, but not here in this continuity. In you know the way back, in the narrow way back machine, certainly. So I I just don't get. I mean, I rolled my eyes when when all this was happening. It's it's not the time nor the place to be in a scuffle with someone else who should be considered a hero, or at least you knew her then. So if you got a personal animosity, you shouldn't leave it for outside of your your mission that you're currently on. So I just – it was so bizarre. I wasn't expecting it at all, which I guess could be good or bad, but it was just – it was um, – yeah, it was strange. Ugh trying to think I mean, <laughs> we could talk uh, i guess well you know it's just a bunch of yeah questions i have but uh what do you think about the villain so far we've only seen one issue of her but dasha we she has a tragic backstory i suppose and that's why she's experimenting on people uh do you care for this villain at all does she interest you at all no who cares like, oh, oh my, my parents are dead you know like, like join the club like, like whatever it's interesting I think the one interesting thing about her is that we got rid of Gordon Clean Energy and then we take someone who basically has Gordon Clean Energy, you know, like a form of it, a facsimile of it. So it's just interesting we got rid of that where we could have explored that to greater detail, but we're bringing in a character now as a villain who is going to use a similar type of company, but now for nefarious means. So that that was interesting. KG Beast showing up. Uh, didn't expect him in this title. I guess that's kind of cool. Uh, he he gets um, one of his. Uh, she, he gets a prosthetic because of what she has. Her technology. Uh, the government. I mean, how how do you like these story points that she's working working quote unquote with the uh, the congresswoman? Do you think that this is has I don't know has this gone anywhere? <laughs> Besides her getting elected, uh, again, like I mean, like what is this? I don't know. Like <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> okay. Uh, like because like, like, like you can have things happen about. Oh, you know, I, I live in this lower end apartment now. But like, have that be a factor in every scene, which would be inconvenient. You know, if you're gonna do Peter Parker, do Peter Parker. Don't just tell us and then like you know that's her that's her status quo right now. Anyway, so no, I, I don't care. Okay, it's. You know, it's one thing after – with Vallejo, it's like each time we see her, she's got a new agenda and not like a negative agenda but something like this is what I'm going to focus on for this issue. So in this case, it's it's involving how to protect the city. I assume from like stuff that had happened with Bane because maybe he destroyed some stuff and it shut down a bunch of city blocks. So she's trying to make each city block uh, self-sufficient. But, you know, I just don't un- – there is no reason why Barbara Gordon should not be fired. And she's a volunteer, so she's not even in a paid position, but she's so flaky. And then, of course, we have Jason and Babs, which, gosh, I really hope they do not get together. But it's – we're being forced to endure this. 
I don't know if anybody likes, I mean, I'm sure there is someone out there who really likes this, but you know, this is not my Jason Bard. And it's just like, he had his confidence at the end of the other issue. And now he's back to, oh, Babs doesn't like me. And now Babs is the one. It's so weird. It's like, she's being convinced that she likes him. So now she's got to make the first move or second. Cause I still think she's the one who kissed him. Yeah. And any thoughts on that relationship? <laughs> I do have thoughts on that relationship, actually. Like, I mean, it feels, oh, please! It feels like, it feels like a slow train towards a destination that you don't want to go off, go go to, but you don't want, you can't get off of. It's just like, and I mean, because because what is it with them? Like, need, it's like every writer is like, we got to have Babs hooked up with somebody. I can understand wanting to do that because it's you know dynamic. It's like sequential storytelling. It's like a soap opera that kind of stuff. I don't know. Has the editor on this book? How long has this editor been on the book compared to the editor that's been on at the start of Rebirth with Hope Larson? I mean, like, maybe not. Let's not have her a rogues gallery of romantic romantic uh, potentials. Um, it just I don't care about that either. You know what's funny is that, like I'm actually reading this off a, a website, and I, all the comments are talking about is like, you know, the, the Jason Bart thing in comparison. Like, you know, oh well. When Dick cheated on her with this, with Starfire in the eighties, like like, but, but that's not true. And like people start getting in like this Dick versus Corey argument, and it's like no one's really talking about like whether Jason Bart even, even like you know compares. So it's it's like you, we'll we'll be interested in reading this book if you do that. You know, like honestly, like it's not so much whether we ship it or not. It's just like making making it interesting. Like I, I I do find Jason Jason Bart's kind of like you know him trying to be a good person to be moderately interesting. Not so much that I would say you need to read the book, but like it's 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 an idea. But to me, it's all centered around gearing them towards each other as as a romance. And that to mm-hmm. me, I find to be a an inelegant way to write either a book or a romance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, everyone already knows my thoughts that I'm I'm not on board with it. Uh, so I guess we'll see uh, what would happen. <laughs> I I don't know. Um, maybe we'll have a break in the next uh, next t- two months. I don't know if there will be a forty seven or not. Uh, so final thoughts and grade, and I guess we'll give it at a, a gold gold statues. I mean, if you're coming in and and you like this is this comic book is on, in front of you and you're reading it, you're not going to dislike it. But if if you have opinions on not even opinions, if you if you cra- if you give a crap about Barbara Gordon. You're just going to like, you know, I think sigh. So I, I would give it like a six and a half. Six and a half. I, I will say that I thought that this was better than on Earth. It leaves me again with, with questions. I think that there are some things that happen unnecessarily. I do like that Gian Domenico is back. I, I do like his um, art better. Yeah, better, but not by much, I suppose. So I'm going to give it a six, I think. Six out of ten uh, gold statues. Wow. Okay. <sighs> There we go. Uh, so now, oh, now over to Chris for his cornucopia of curiosity. Ah, uh, that's like wishing things were the way they were 48 weeks ago. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosity segment. Thank you very much for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today, I'm reviewing Batman Adventures number 29, and in the Nightwatch segment, I look at Nightwing number 70. Batman Adventures number 29 was cover dated February 1995 and cover priced at $1.50. For this one, we have a creative team of Kelly Puckett as the writer. Dav Medden is credited as guest artist. Rick Burchett was the inker and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in the Batman Adventures trade paperback, volume 4. 
and does appear to be available on DC Comics app for $16.99 for the entire trade itself. However, the individual issue is not. And our story today is entitled Demon Seed. Act 1. Secret Hopes, Secret Fears Rachel Ghoul is missing! A minion tells Talia that her father was last seen in Macau. Meanwhile, at stately Wayne Manor, home of millionaire Bruce Wayne, Alfred notes that Raish has been missing for a week and wonders what future Bruce will have with Talia now that Raish is out of the picture. Batman then begins to track an item called the Tesla device, which has been shipped from Gotham City to Macau. Smash cut to Macau, where Bruce Wayne attends what I call a masquerade casino, where he meets the owner named Young, who deals in imported and exported goods. Young is called away, and Bruce cashes in his chips, and Bruce runs into Talia, who is just stolen a bag from a back room. Young bursts through a door and says, Get her! Act 2. Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Bruce and Talia flee the casino with gunfire at their backs and get into a speedboat. Bruce changes into Batman. He tells her she stole an experimental field generator that someone named Narian wants to smuggle into Nepal who is building a generator to activate it and thus rule the world. Batman hurls a batarang at the baddies, following them, and Talia says she took the device so she could exchange it for information on her father's whereabouts. Batman agrees to help her. The trail leads to a defunct wedding parlor, and Talia finds her father's pendant, and Batman stops her from killing the man who possessed it. Act 3. Till death do you part. In Nepal, Batman and Talia debate on destroying the device. They find a cave and attack the minions therein. Talia finds Young and the control room. Batman catches up and asks if Talia got any information. Talia says yes. The device can vaporize cities, defense bases, and labs, and Narion can use it to hold the planet hostage. Batman then realizes that Talia was doing all of this to carry out her father's plan, and is shocked. Talia says she owes her father no less. Raish emerges from the shadows and apologizes to Talia for his deception to her, saying that Batman kept him under constant surveillance, and this way he could carry out his plan. But before the device can be activated, Batman destroys it. Talia starts to cry and starts to explain, calling Batman Bruce, but Batman says there's nothing left to say as he walks away. The End my notes, the cover depicts Batman and Talia fleeing in a speedboat while being fired upon with the specter of Rachel Gould looking at them against a black night sky. I like it. As a Batman-Catwoman shipper, I keep forgetting how this title really kept the Batman-Talia shipping alive. The relationship is very real, but seems beyond repair from here going forward. Tiny quibble, it's not clear, to me anyway, why everyone is masked at the casino, but it makes the scene look more interesting and keeps Bruce's identity under wraps. We have a MacGuffin device, and the characters seem to fill in the blanks and answer any internal questions that I, as I had as the story moved along, at times conveniently and perhaps implausibly so, with Bruce and Talia being where they need to be when their paths initially cross. The story was fast-paced, and I do like some globe-trotting Batman stories every now and then. I doubt the readers were fooled that Raish was really missing, and we all figured out who Narian really was, but we have to suspend some disbelief to make the story work, and here we are. There is build-up, an anticlimactic take-out of the weapon slash MacGuffin, which just gets us to Raisha's devious manipulation, but more telling, Talia's loyalty to her father that will never change. I really didn't notice any change in the artwork with Dev Madden's pencils. His other credits include Young Heroes in Love. We get some great Batman in Shadows panels, and he did an excellent job here. I initially thought of giving this a 7.5 out of 10 bats, 
but I'm going to change my score on the fly and give Batman Adventures number 29 8 out of 10 bats for Rache's plan. Now for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, it's Nightwatch. That's where I look at the current issue of Nightwing from a shipper's perspective. At the time of this recording, Nightwing number 70 is the current issue. Writer Dan Jurgens, art Ryan Benjamin, and Scott Hanna. Spoilers ahead. After a five-page recap bringing us up to speed, the Ursat's Nightwings talk in a hospital room by Zack's hospital bed. Ursat's Nightwing Sap has a violent encounter with the Joker. Richard Grayson tells B that he still is having headaches. B wonders if Richard should reach out to Barbara, but he says he doesn't know if he can trust her yet. And the Joker finds the memory crystal that Nightwing foolishly leaves in B's bar that Dr. Haas used to manipulate Nightwing's memories. <laughs> to be continued. Okay, the big question, why didn't Dick keep the crystal? Only for the Joker to find it. The Joker appearance had the issue sell out quickly in my local area, and I'm wondering if any of the other readers out there had problems finding a copy. As for Dick and B, it was a bit sad that B has more faith in Barbara than Dick has. Very sad indeed. As for Dick and B shipping, there really isn't a lot here, other than some really tame soap opera stuff. With that, I'm going to give the story a lukewarm, repeat lukewarm shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch, and this segment within a segment for now, as I'm just not sure when we'll see Nightwing again, or any new comics anytime soon for that matter. And with that, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the recent events with the current coronavirus crisis. No doubt it's affected you and your loved ones. I hope you all are getting by, day by day, somehow, and doing the best you can. I've lost two jobs due to business circumstances in the past, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone, especially during these times. I feel for anyone who's lost a job and or is struggling to get by. I hope you can find some enjoyment and some distraction where you can and when you can. You have my thanks for listening and my hope going forward. Listeners, don't forget you can find Stella on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to my friends, the Sutherlands. Be sure to check out their fine podcast on the Rad Adventures Network. If you have any feedback for this segment or for this podcast, please head over to the Batman Universe website. And if you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website, which has news, features, and a fine family of podcasts, follow the links on Patreon or by making a one-time donation with a link on the homepage. Thank you for your support. Listeners, you can also find me on the Professor Frenzy Show podcast, where my friend Jerry has some great upcoming projects. You can also find us with our Memory Minute Monday and Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories podcast, as well as YouTube. And, hey, please do us a favor. Check it out. And if you like what you see, click the like button and subscribe. Thank you very much. Who has a treasure map to a giant pearl? What are the origins of the Professor, Mr. Nice, and the Mastermind? Will the next issue be good if Batman appears only in one panel? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these polite, poignant, presumed plausibles will be publicly pacified perfectly next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. No, is he going to review the um the Batman at the next Adventures series? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm potentially, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. When did those start coming out? Okay, so... um. The first one came on digital this week, and uh, I read it. Batgirl's not in it, um, but like you know, she'll be in it. Like, you know, like it's, a, it's a limited series, so I figured that he would. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a matter, it's just a matter of time. Oh well, I guess we'll see. Do you know if Forty Seven is scheduled to come out still? I don't think it is, but I'm, but I'm, okay. not, I'm not positive. I'm like like on on the TBU Discord, we're talking about like like all all the um, books have been delayed at least a couple months. Okay. Uh, thank you, Chris. And next is our literature recommendations. I had to scroll with my eyes through everything, be sure I didn't miss anything. So, Don, are you reading anything 
in this this world where we can't do much besides play video games, read, and maybe take classes. Indeed I am. Later on this evening, I'll have a meeting via computers with my uh, Barnes & Noble book club where the book of our – of our of the month that we're reading is an American Marriage by Tayari Jones. It's about a uh, a couple in the South, uh, Celestial and Roy, and their perspectives kind of go back and forth between uh, where they thought their their relationship has gone, has gone, their their particular origins. And to be honest, I'm actually not technically done with it yet, but like I really am enjoying it, particularly the prose. It's a very uh, swelling. Uh, pretty emotional book, uh, very well written, uh, sad in some places, and sad in some places, sad often. Uh, and I, I was I was very taken with it by the get-go, so I, I would recommend An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. And as I mentioned, I have been reading some Spider-Man 2099 as a palate cleanser for some things. And I read volume oh, – it's the classic, I should say. So I read volume four, and then I have two issues left in the Spider-Man versus Venom trade, which I guess technically is volume five. So we just found out that Tyler uh, – Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forget his name too. Shoot. What is his last name? That's bad. I had just read – and I was going to critique Tyler oh, – oh, 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 oh. Oh, no. Thank you. Tyler Stone is <gasps> Miguel's father. This was that was a big reveal. And then awkwardly and grossly, Dana starts hooking up with Tyler Stone and what moves in? That's so weird. Uh number it's weird period, but number 2 it's weird because she was engaged to his son and now she's but I guess she didn't know, so I guess we can excuse her, but it yes, yeah, that's very bizarre. Um but I I don't know how long it goes on cuz I I'm just collecting the trades, so I guess we'll see when next uh the next one comes out. And I also read a Lumberjanes original graphic novel which one you said about Boom Studios. I thought mm-hmm. of my dear Lumberjane and Lumberjanes and uh, other um, indie stuff that I read. Let's see. Lumberjanes, it was called, I have to go on my Goodreads, The Shape of Friendship. And loading, loading. While adventuring in the woods, Joe, Mal, Molly, April, and Ripley discover the hiding place of a group of magical creatures called pukas, and they think they found new friends. But what they don't know is that the pukas are tired of hiding, and they found the perfect way to join the outside world by impersonating the lumber Janes themselves and taking over camp. To reclaim their identities, the Janes will have to work together to remember who they really are and to help another group of friends accept themselves, too, in a story about looking inside yourself and learning to love who you meet there. And funnily enough, last night I started Ulysses by James Joyce. And uh, by the first page, actually, I thought, what even am I reading? And I tweeted about it, and I've received more tweets by people I don't even know (laughs) from that tweet. I don't know if it was when I tweeted, which was late at night, so maybe time zone issues, or people are just interested that I'm reading Ulysses. But boy, people have come out of the woodwork. I don't think I'm going to be recommending it, but I at least wanted to tell you that I'm reading it. But my big read that I did to update you. Remember, I wanted to get these huge books out from the library and I put holds on them, but then the library shut down. That's the update. They shut down before I could get it. Um, so now I have to do digital, which I don't really like. But the one that I got from my library was War and Peace and I finished it and I actually really liked it. So it's by really? Leo Tolstoy. 
I did actually, yes. I mean, it's 1,200 pages, so you've got to put in your time and effort. But in Russia's struggle with Napoleon, Tolstoy saw a tragedy that involved all mankind. Greater than a historical chronicle, war and peace is an affirmation of life itself, a complete picture, as a contemporary reviewer put it, of everything in which people find their happiness and greatness, their grief and humiliation. Um, so I, the war stuff is fine. It's kind of like Les Mis. You kind of get through the war stuff in order to get to the character moments. So the character moments are really what I was uh, looking forward to. So much shipping. <gasps> so much shipping. <laughs> it was lovely. It was lovely. I mean, Tolstoy and I would get along, but I, I enjoyed it. I mean, you got to put in your effort, your work. It was actually, you know, compared to Ulysses that I'm only a, a hundred pages in, um, War and Peace reads nicely and smoothly um just like way miz kind of surprised me too with how nice that is so not much effort you just have to put in the time because 1200 pages so i recommend that and uh, i also want to say last episode i mentioned portrait of a lady on fire and that is currently on hulu so again i strongly urge you to watch this beautiful tale but it will uh i mean it affected me for days afterwards so it might Maybe it won't be a – I mean it's so beautiful, but still you're going to be affected. Um, so it depends on what your mental health is like right now. But then I've been going through all these series because I have to sit in front of my computer waiting for students to email me or whatnot. And so I've been racing through series. So I tried Gentleman Jack on HBO. And this is interesting. I'm bringing it up because uh, I talked about the female gaze, I think, to a certain extent uh, with Portrait of a Lady. And it's a beautiful example of a positive uh, female gaze. But with Gentleman Jack, boy, did I, <laughs> I just, I felt uncomfortable, exceptionally uncomfortable for, was it the first episode or the first two episodes? And it got better. So I did, I was like, I'm going to make it through these eight episodes. But it follows Ann Lister and it, it goes through her, it uses her diaries slash journals as the uh, historical artifact of what they're basing this on. But Ann Lister uh, is pursuing Ann Walker and it's, Really interesting because of how Ann Lister is presented. I like Ann Lister in how she's nonconformist and fights for women's rights, kind of, at least in like her presentation and being who she is. And, and they do talk about uh, an act that they're trying to put in of, you know, preventing women from voting and things like that. But her pursuit of Ann Walker is like if it were a man our hackles would be up because like in her space looking at her as if you know like i'm going to uh devour you kind of thing and so i do at least want to say you know as a feminist and donovan's a feminist too that even though we look for equal opportunities and things like that we're also going to stamp down on you doing things that um you should not do that men should not do and so i think it's the second time they meet she was like asking her about, you know, have you ever kissed anyone before? Have you ever wanted to? And this Ann Walker is 30, 29 years old, but she's got her own issues. And so her innocence kind of makes her seem, in my opinion, younger. So that was another reason why I felt because Ann is like 41, I think. Ann Lister is 41. 
So Ann Walker's like nervous about this and she asks uh, Ann Lister, have you? And Ann Lister's like, every time I'm over here and I'm like, this is too much. This is too much. Like I said, it gets better. But I just want to say that that's a bad example of, I think, the female gaze because um, in her masculinity, it was, uh, I think, inappropriately directed. And because she's a female, she gets away with it. But anyways... That all that to say that you c- could watch Gentleman Jack. I think it gets better, but I have several questions. And she not once in the whole series says "I love you" to Ann Walker, even though Ann Walker says "I love you" to her. And there are moments that she could have, and I think it's very intentional. But it worries me for season hey, uh, two. What did you say? Hit the player, hit the game. Oh man, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could talk about that at length. Uh, um, but I shan't do it here. Oh well, we made it, Donovan. We made it. <laughs> How surprised are you? I'm. I'm always surprised that these go long. I mean, we're at two and a half hours right now. <laughs> I always think, oh, this will be a breeze. But uh, no, it was a fun. I mean, I think we had a lot of good discussions. I personally think that, uh, not to do my own horn, but I think that it was a good episode. I'd like to agree. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell it's a good episode whenever you have that that. that that hacking cough whenever you're taken by surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, until the last possible second, I did not. I did not think I would not give this story a ten. But um, you. Well, well, well. Yeah, you made your case. I will say because I, I brought it up earlier, and you know, this this is a, this is a tangent, but like the uh, in this issue, Batman dies. That thing, which shows that. Like, oh yes. That was a month long thing. Um, of just having that on the cover, so that Birds of Prey story is definitely sort of in the future of this of this background story because every Bat book in DC for a month had that in the issue Batman dies kind of thing. Now he's not, he's not even in that Birds oh, of Prey God. story. There is a I know <laughs> there is a dream sequence in 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 Batgirl, but otherwise, yeah, it, it's it's like, it would always be this sort of like you know this doesn't count kind of like a little header for that. I remember what was going on. That's, I just wanted to elucidate that, but otherwise. Oh, um, good. Uh, I love this as much as I predicted to, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Of course. And next, when Donovan Donovan has already granted me permission, I think, uh, but when Donovan, because he's in fall right now, right, on uh, The Last of yep. Us, you said, mm-hmm. uh, that when he hits winter, he's going to do a share play again, which it was so good for that first hour, and then you only get an hour of share play, and that kicks you off, and then all of a sudden we couldn't get on because of low connectivity. Mm-hmm. So I hope it doesn't happen. But I'm really, for people who have played that game, you know why. <laughs> I want to watch him play Winter. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And, oh, well, before we go, of course, please let people know how they can find and support you. Uh, thank you. Questions we don't have answers. Uh, com. Our most recent episode was a two-part special on the end of Steven Universe and what we can learn from this show now that it's done. It was uh, myself, Harry, and Joshua Levin-Bertoni for the first part, and myself and my old friend from college, Kelly, in the second part. Uh, Both are separate recordings. You can choose which ones you can listen to or listen to both. Additionally, you can find my work on DCUniverse.com. I write write, uh, articles for them. My most recent uh, article as of this recording was uh, on the uh, brief but very good uh, Jim Starlin Batman run from the 1980s and I will write in the future on other runs We can you can binge if you're kind of like sitting around in your room and you want to read some comics uh, Josh, the aforementioned Josh wrote a, wrote a similar article about Peter David's Supergirl so you can check that out as well and you find me on Twitter at DonoDMG1 Are you only allowed to do as I will call them vintage 
articles are are kind of the modern tale sacrosanct because people are still writing them and so DC wants to protect and be protected. I mean the idea is to like write for stuff that people can read and then go out and read the comics and okay. they have stuff up to like last year. Like they just added back or Detective Comics 1000 to their server because that came out last year. Like they'll have the books, but like the last twelve months of com- of new comic books, they don't have because they want to give the retailers a, a chance to, to sell them. Um, mm. So yeah, I could write about Batgirl, but it would be like um, in the in the, in the probably like during like the James Junior storyline of last year or whatever, whatever it was like this this time okay. last year. Gotcha. I just wondered, yeah, if you wrote something of like times that Batgirl spoke with her fists instead of her words against fellow teammates. Thank you for giving um, me a pitch would idea. Frowned upon. <laughs> would that be frowned upon or not? Um, no. Well, I guess you have. Do you have to wait because of the recent one? I guess you could say, in light of Batgirl forty five, let's look back at the times. I guess you could do that. So that, that, honestly, thank you it, very much. That's a genuinely good idea. About the times that like Barbara Gordon just hauled off and punched somebody for no reason. Yeah. Uh, well, if you could, please mention my name in it. That would be lovely. <laughs> Thanks to my friend Stella for giving me the idea. I think next month is uh, our, our our friend himself, the man who doesn't like to wear belts or proper footwear while hiking. Uh, oh, really? Joshua Lappenberg. <laughs> he, I think we're doing, I'm pretty sure, we're doing the Batman Chronicles story that he wants to do where it's revealed that Jim knows. And I'm also going to do a cleanup episode of random titles like a Flash annual and something else. Maybe a Nightwing annual? I don't know. Flash special and a Nightwing special? Flash something. A bunch of oh, yeah. issues along with. But the main event is going to be that Chronicles. And then in June to look forward to, it's uh, Professor Allen coming on to do Officer Down, that storyline. So that's something to look forward to there. And I'm considering, I don't know if this is bad optics, but I think it's probably just time to do it. I'm thinking about doing a special of Why the Last Man, and I'll have a guest on for that as well. Uh, okay. involved has in has Carolyn read that? Those. Has Carolyn read Why the Last Man? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've, I've not I've finished, I've not read all of it, but it should be good for it. So we'll we'll see about that because that's certainly you know it's a post-apocalyptic too, but just in a different way. Uh, well, remember you can send any questions or comments to backrolloracle at gmail dot com. You can uh, of course hit up Donovan, or if you have something to send my way, I can forward it to him. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Oh, and Donovan would appreciate your um, congrats, and I think any sort of good job or. <laughs> Uh, encouragement encouragement to get through uh, The Last of Us. Uh, like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Backroll Oracle. Follow the B- Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well and support it by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Uh, thank you, Donovan, for coming on and being a delightful host. Thank you very much for having me. And I told you I could do it. You doubted me showing up and I did it. he sure did Uh, and until next time fight on cast lovers yeah yeah (laughs) bye just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle who knows is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?
Well, I sometimes do special things, and there was a film coming out that I was excited about, and I found someone else who was excited about it, and I thought, let's chat about it. So we're going to talk about the newest Emma adaptation that came out in 2020, and here with me to talk a little bit about a little bit about that as well as other Emma adaptations is Ian Prime himself, Ian Miller. Hello. <laughs> so this is interesting because you seem to be a huge Jane Austen fan, which is great. I love that. And Emma is your favorite, I, I think. It seems like Emma's your favorite. So why is why do you love Jane Austen? I guess I'll ask you that. And then why is Emma your favorite if it is? Uh, well, it is correct that Emma is my favorite. Um, I was kind of a dumb 13-year-old, and I tried Pride and Prejudice and thought it was terrible. Um, <laughs> and then four years later, when I was 17, I tried again with um, Sense and Sensibility. And it took me a couple novels, but when I finally got to Pride and Prejudice the second time, I just fell absolutely in love with her prose style and her... Um, her characters and the moral imagination she shows and I have never stopped loving her since 17 so that's been about 17 years now um, I haven't found any author that has created characters so real and so funny and so romantic so that's why Jane Austen is my favorite author and then Emma particularly I see myself in Emma um, because she she has so much potential, but she often doesn't live up to it. And so I definitely feel that in my my own life that I want to live up to my potential, but often don't for various reasons. And um, she she will hurt people, um, not truly intentionally, but she'll still do it because she's very bossy and very, um, you know, she thinks she knows how everything should happen. She, she's very much a planner. And I feel that too, but I've learned, especially recently in the last five or six years, you know, the, the damage that your own plans can do if you're not really listening to other people. And so I really relate to the way she learns that damage and, and able is able to become a better person. And so that moral arc of Emma. And also, I just think that, oh, and I should should add, this is probably going to involve spoilers for, for the novel. So if you haven't read Emma. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. You should definitely read Emma. Yeah. Uh, but to spoil it, I really like the main romantic couple of Emma. I think they're very, uh, it's, it's such a good friendship that turns into a romantic relationship that's a lot of emotions and that really is affecting to me. Yeah, I'm trying to think of which character, because I think that I've read all of Austin's stuff, because I have this huge tome that goes through all of it, and I didn't read it all in one sitting, I couldn't do that, but I'm pretty sure that I've read all of them, if not pretty close. Northanger Abbey is actually my favorite one. I uh, do love the the gothic romantic aspects of that. I think that's just the genre that I tend for because, I mean, Jane Eyre and, and things like that. Uh, but yeah, once you said Emma's the character that you uh, feel like you identify most with, I was trying to think about which character in Austin's 
rogues gallery, we'll call it, uh, I identify with the most. I'd have to think about that. You'd think it would actually almost be Emma because of how much I ship people in <laughs> the fictional world as well as in real life that I would be, you know, the matchmaker that Emma is. But yeah, so we uh, are similar in that we've seen several adaptations and I actually went online just before we started talking to see when adaptations the actual they actually started and i saw it went back as early as 48 i think i saw and then there are a couple uh, tv ones and then it moved on up and then we get to the first major one which i guess was gwyneth paltrow in 96 and the same time there was the television version with kate beckinsale and then of course we have clueless which we can't forget about (laughs) And then we have one that uh, I think both you and I really love that the BBC redid. Uh, when was that? In 2009. 2009. 2009. Okay. And then we get to this one with Anna Taylor Joy that just came out. So, which adaptations of all the ones that uh, you have seen do you enjoy the most? Yeah, let me see my data here. Yeah, 1948 was the first one with Judy Campbell as Emma. Then in 1960, there was a television miniseries. And then in 72, there was another miniseries. And then we get to our uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in 96. 95 was Clueless. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which ones have you seen? Which ones do you like and feel like they're pretty good? And then we'll spend the bulk of our discussion on the, the recent one. Well, I've actually seen the 1972 one. I don't know that the 48 and 60 ones are available. And I also saw one two years ago that was a filmed musical with Kelly Barrett, who if you've oh, wow. seen if you've seen The Punisher on Netflix, she plays The Punisher's dead wife. Oh. Um, and she played Emma in the, the filmed musical version. Of the ones that I've seen, I can't pick a favorite between... The Kate Beckinsale, the Ramallah Gary miniseries in 2009, and the current Anya Taylor-Joy film. Those are the three that I think have enriched my enjoyment of the novel the most. Okay. So now I want to know, and this is something that I was curious about because I saw that on Twitter when you had put those up there. It is curious that the Gwyneth Paltrow one is missing. And so I wonder what is it about that particular adaptation? And I'm asking more out of curiosity because I don't have really, I, I have my my two favorites, I think. So I have no dog in the fight. But what what is it about that one that uh, it doesn't make it on your favorite list? Well, for Gwyneth Paltrow Emma fans, I don't want to like trash the movie. I think that it has many uh, excellent qualities. The score by Rachel Portman is lovely. The acting is uniformly good. Uh, the direction is quite creative. Um, my problem really comes down to the script. Uh, mm. And there's a lot of humor in that version, which is very broad. And to me, um, I've always thought that Jane Austen's humor should be played more subtly. So an example, and there's more than one, but this is the one that just comes to mind more readily, is when Emma is um, about to receive the proposal from Mr. Knightley, but she doesn't know it, she makes a comment about, oh dear, because she thinks he's going to talk about Harriet. And then she tries to hide that with a, a line about how she's thinking about venison stew. And that is a really, uh, it's just a very unsubtle joke to me. And it didn't feel appropriate for Jane Austen. 
Now, it does feel more appropriate for someone like Charles Dickens, and the same writer-director adapted Nicholas Nickleby in 2002, and I thought that worked much better. I very much enjoyed that film. But for Jane Austen, the, the script is just operating on a level that I think is, is more obvious and plays to more stereotypes than I think uh, really matches with my love of the novel. I would say, though, that this most recent adaptation is a bit more open with the comedy than I've seen in the past with Emma, though. I would agree. I think that there is a lot of even almost slapstick, but the verbal <laughs> the verbal humor doesn't do that. The, the script tends to hew more closely to the novel in yeah. the language for me. So that's why I don't have that same reaction. Do you feel like Emma is the most... I'm going to say comedic, but, you know, we're not talking about like it's an out-and-out comedy, but the most comedic of all Jane Austen's novels, or at least the ones that you've read, like the most witty. I mean, I think in terms of pure dialogue wit, I'd say Pride and Prejudice is probably the best. Um, Elizabeth and and Darcy just have so much intelligence, and they're, they're they're, they're so antagonistic towards each other. Now, Emma and Mr. Knightley do have some some great lines to each other, like, of course, the famous um, better to be without wit than to misapply it as you do. <laughs> uh, but there's there's not quite the same spark because it's a different type of relationship. So I would say that Pride and Prejudice for me is the, the wittiest. Okay. But Emma, Emma to me is the most whole. It has the, the most completed world, the most uh, fleshed out relationships um, and the the deepest psychological journey for me. Gotcha. Okay. I did forget about the YouTube. Did you ever see that the Emma approved YouTube oh, series? Oh, yes. <laughs> Emma approved. Well, it had really good actors. It's just that the first, I would say, 20 episodes were just not very well written. But then the last 20 episodes I thought were really well written. So it ends well, but it starts really shaky for me. Yeah, I would agree you have to hang in there. And the only reason why I watched it is because I really liked the Pride and Prejudice version, which I think was called the Lizzie Diaries, but I'm not sure, or Lizzie Bennet Diaries, uh, which was really, really well done. And I was hooked on there (laughs) right from the beginning. But uh, you kind of have to hold on to the Emma approved until it gets to, I think, like you say, kind of the middle portion, and then it picks up and it it holds on to you. Yeah, I agree. Well... I would say that it's been a while since I've seen the Gwyneth Paltrow and the Kate Beckinsale, but I don't think they had any lasting impact on me. So I would say the Romola or Romola version in 2009 is really up there for me. Clueless, if we're talking about adaptations, but of course mm-hmm. loosely and you know more modernization, I think uh, <laughs> is up there for me. But this 2020 release... I was excited, first of all, because I like the lead actress. I feel like, well, I've seen her in two things now, and I'm trying to think of what the other one was. But definitely I saw her in Split, uh, which was a really interesting film. And it was a completely different character. The only thing I saw about this film was one trailer when I went to go see a film with my mom. I think it was Little Women, actually, in an art house film. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And that girl is completely different from, you know, how I saw her in Split. So going into this, what were your expectations? What did you see before you went into the film? And what were you hoping to see when you were actually in the film watching? Well, I... um saw 
Anya Taylor-Joy in uh, Glass, the sequel to Split. I actually haven't okay. seen Split, but I, I really liked her in that. So that, that also was an intriguing thing for me, being a fan of her. And I'd seen both trailers for it, and I actually was very excited because it was my favorite film. I mean, my favorite uh, favorite novel. Right. And I, I didn't have an... I love the Kate Beckinsale and Romola Gary version, and I very much enjoy Clueless and Emma Approved, and I even enjoy most of the other ones. Those are the two that are really close, but I didn't have one. So it's not like Pride and Prejudice, where people say, oh, the Colin Firth version or the Kara Knightley version are their favorite. Like, I didn't have one that it was going to dethrone. I was looking Mm -hmm. for something to add to my experience, and I got that. There are things that I could um, quibble with or, or question about this one, but the acting and the writing and the directing were all just so well-crafted and I could see the intentions of loving the book and sharing that love with the audience. I didn't feel like they felt they had to dumb it down or uh, make it more modern. They, they just loved the book and they felt the book was strong enough to give it to the audience through their lens. And I thought that was really good. It was really exciting and funny as you said it really emphasizes that comedy but it also doesn't skimp on the romance and the social commentary like all of those things are in there in just a really nice well-crafted film Mm -hmm. yeah i think from the trailer I, i was expecting an adaptation that i think was different than the other ones like a a a fresh take on it and it's hard to do that because when you have such a beloved novel like even looking at uh Greta Gerwig's Little Women that came out this year you know what can you do to to change things up and she messed with the I shouldn't say mess that sounds negatively but she, she presented you know, the timeline differently yes differently correct and so I wondered what you know what is this this Emma going to be about and one moment in the trailer that sticks out in my mind is when um it's not Miss Fairfax. Well, what is her aunt's name? Miss Bates. There you go. Miss Bates comes. She's like calling to her outside the carriage. And there's just this moment where Emma just like flicks the carriage window open and it opens so slowly and she just turns to her. And I just thought, okay, so this is, you know, from that moment, I got a sense of what this adaptation was going to be. And right from the beginning, I have to say that just the colors and the costuming so bright and it was such a beautiful film visually to look at which I really loved and it was so smartly written and I I was just engaged the entire time and when we got to the one moment that I always dread in every adaptation which is the picnic moment because I hate Emma I hate Emma in that moment I was like oh no here it is still really well done and you you feel the emotion from from everyone there but yeah I really like this I think perhaps more than I thought I may have but I liked that it was it was a, a fresh take but not completely doing something new um yeah so I'm, I'm happy yeah, with this, I, I and agree. I'm glad that you liked it, too. Well, one of the things I'm always worried about with uh, a Jane Austen film is because every single novel has been done, although I think Mansfield Park has never been done respectfully. Mm. Um, well, okay, I haven't seen the 1980s miniseries of Mansfield Park, but I don't like 1980s miniseries very much. So. <laughs> but I, I would say that Persuasion, for example, got a really great adaptation in 1995, and mm. then they read 
they did a new one in 2007, and I felt that everything they did in 2007 had already been done better in 1995. Mm. So I'm always worried about a rehash or or doing the same thing. Whereas, you know, the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, it was very much of the book, but it also expanded the world of the book. But the 2005 took a completely different direction. It was much more romanticized and much more, uh, you know, passionate. Um so that was a different take. And so I was very curious what you would do with Emma, which, as I would said, I'd seen like five different versions of what would be new. And I think the emphasis on both humor, but also passion, because there's there's a real you know emotional current. You see Mr. Knightley just throw himself on the ground in in passion. And I think that was a really good um, new take that was still true to the novel. So um, they didn't do like a. a a non-chronological approach like they did in uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, Mm -hmm. but they did have a new voice while still being true to Austen's voice. So that, I was very impressed at that. I didn't think that they could really do that, and I'm glad they surpassed that expectation. Yeah, and that dance scene was so well-crafted because as Knightley and Emma are dancing, you can see this transition from friendship or at least something buried underneath that friendship and then something starting to bubble to the surface. And then it, it sort of cl- reaches this climactic high when he comes into the into the yard. But then, of course, everything is thrown off because the gypsies caused chaos as they do i suppose um the father was perhaps my favorite character in this one i think bill nye did a, an amazing job because he seems like an eccentric person in real life anyways and just to add to mr woodhouse's um eccentricities i think he did a great job especially with the draft do you feel a draft and those shades being moved around and all of that i mean one of the best moments i have to say i i completely agree i was actually very worried about bill nye because i love him as an actor but he's he's very like vigorous uh actor he um has been in a lot of action films and he even though I think he's in his 70s at this point, he, he just has such energy to him. And yeah. to me, Mr. Woodhouse is a very sedentary character. He's not always jumping up around. But he really convinced me with that uh, that recurring uh, theme of feeling drafts and being very <laughs> yeah. concerned about everyone getting colds from drafts. Yeah. And the visual device of the screens that the serpents would have to carry around. That's both a, a social commentary, but it's also just really funny. Mm-hmm. Um. I so I completely agree. I think uh, Mr. Woodhouse was very well done, and he definitely adds to that uh, legacy of characters because he's been played by really good actors like Michael Gambon in the the Drama yeah. one. Yeah. He was very emotional in that one, so I thought this was a good fresh take that emphasized the humor, but also had those quirkiness and also you know you can tell he cares about Emma, which is a good thing. Yeah, and certainly doesn't want to lose anybody you know he lost his wife and then he feels like he lost his eldest daughter to marriage and so doesn't want to lose emma Uh, another great scene with him was that dinner party and the priest pastor the religious official uh how he said i think it's going to snow and everyone at the table turned their heads at the exact same moment (laughs) to look at mr woodhouse because they knew how he was going to react and then everyone leaves in like under a minute they get out of there Uh, so that was really good you know i 
Emma is a complicated character, in my opinion. I really enjoy this, and I guess I'll say that I like Emma. I at least like watching her. I'm engaged with her. But if you kind of step back and just look at the things that she does, even though she has, I think, good intentions, she doesn't seem like the best of people. Would you agree with this, or do you think I'm off the mark? Would you like to defend Emma Woodhouse? Well, I think... Emma is such a great novel because it does take a character who is normally the villain in a Jane Austen novel. She's rich. Mm, she yep. she doesn't have to worry about getting married. She bothers other people. She kind of wrecks their life for a bit. Um, but I think that the important thing about Austen is that she does have those good intentions, whereas a character like Caroline Bingley would be much more Ugh, you know, selfish yeah. yep. and... Um, just really, you know, out for herself. Whereas Emma, I think, does have a real concern that the people around her be happy. And I think that one of the great things about Anya Taylor Joy as Emma is you see, you know, she is a spoiled youngest child. She is, um, she does sometimes think of people as dolls to be played with. But mm-hmm. she also, you know, it opens with her um, embracing Miss Taylor, her governess who's getting married. And you can really see that emotion and that connection. She she has a real ability to connect to people. And I think that you have to balance both the flaws of Emma, and she's a deeply flawed character, but also the virtues. I think that, for example, the, um, the Gwyneth Paltrow one tends to make her too virtuous. It tries to make mm-hmm. her flaws too, too small to really bother. So that the Box Hill, where she insults Miss Bates, doesn't quite land as well. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, I think Rama Gary and Anya Taylor-Joy, there's a real pain in, in Miss Bates when you see that and, and you feel it. Like I saw it, I got to see it twice in theaters um, and the first time was a preview screening and the, the entire audience, I, I mean, a preview screening, you have to imagine that everyone there knows the novel or at least mm-hmm. knows another version. There was a huge gasp when she said <laughs> only three at once. And I was yeah. like, well, this... This film is successful. It has showed those negative qualities of Emma, but it also people were really happy at the end when she she gets a happy ending. So I think it does that balance well. So I I do defend Emma against uh, you know being you know a villain. I think mm-hmm. that the the musical actually played her up way too much as a villain. There there's just too many things that she did which were it didn't give her enough virtues. But I think that Anya Taylor Joy and the screenwriter really gave her both the flaws and the virtues that make her such a elastic character. And I think that is why this film really adds to the, the enrichment of the novel. I find it really funny that there's a musical. There's actually a musical of Jane Eyre. And it's I the do same love... guy who did the uh, oh, no. musical. <laughs> I've never listened to it. I'm, I love Broadway. I'm a huge fan of Broadway, but I'm just so nervous to listen to it. But I guess I should just fall on my sword and listen to it and see. Maybe it'll be okay. I um, would 100% recommend the musical of Jane Eyre. It is okay. passionate. Okay. It also has humor, which I think the book does have. Um, and it has a real interesting approach to the spiritual side to me uh, now i i have my own religion i i'm a, a christian so i i connect to those themes and the novel as well and i think that the the musical really honors that spiritual journey that jane goes on from being this really cast down person who feels that god is against her and she she learns 
throughout that she can have a connection to faith and to, to her idea of God. And so the musical, I would really recommend to, to any fan of the novel, but particularly someone who is interested in those spiritual journeys. I think that would be very enriching. Okay, well, I'll do it then based off of your recommendation. Uh, that Box Hill scene, do you always, do you, are you like me, where you, you know it's coming and you're kind of really uncomfortable and you're waiting for it to happen? Or are you just cool as a cucumber when that thing is going on? <laughs> well, I don't, well, my, my tension there is because I know it's coming next, which is the badly done scene. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I basically have accepted that I know Emma's going to screw up and just going to hurt Miss Bates. And so I, I'm not surprised or, or tense, but I know that she's going to, I know that Emma doesn't like what she's done. Like immediately, you can see on Anya Taylor-Joy's face that she's just, I should not have done that. Yeah. But then Mr. Knightley comes and he just lays into her. And yeah. that is what I really, that makes me very tense because it's, you, you love these characters. And even though they've had arguments before, this is a different quality. There's much more at stake. And so that's really where my tension in that scene comes from. Do you think Emma deserves that sort of dressing down from Mr. Knightley? Or do you think it's too heavy handed? I think she deserves a dressing down. I think that Mr. Knightley was motivated um Partly by, you know, jealousy and partly by fear. I mean, he's very jealous of Frank Churchill throughout. And I love the way they played that up in this version. So I would say that his intensity goes too far for what Emma needed. Because as I said, Emma already realized she did wrong. She she needed someone to tell her to acknowledge that. But I don't think she needed something as devastating. Because it was really devastating. Um, I mean, this one, they really show just how hurt she is and how she's weeping for days afterwards. Um, so I think that she needed something, but Mr. Knightley, because he was motivated by other things, went to another level. And that uh, it's that pain in both of them that I think is so engaging in that section of the movie. Mm, yeah. Now, one element that for however many times I've seen any adaptation of Emma, I always forget is coming is the reveal of Jane Fairfax being secretly engaged with Frank Churchill. I don't know why, but I always forget about it. I'm always trying to figure out why is Jane Fairfax acting this way? What's up with all of this? Um, which I guess is good that I forget this uh, kind of buries the lead. But afterwards, I rethink through the whole film and revisit what Frank Churchill has done. And I'm sort of astounded that Jane Fairfax would be with this type of person who kind of aids yeah. Emma on and is flirting with Emma and all this, which in this, one of the lines that I think really stands out for Jane, uh, and I don't, I'm sure it happens with all these adaptations, but in this one, because I've just recently seen it, is when she asks, she begs off to leave early when they were in a house visiting, and she tells Emma something about... Um, it doesn't seem like I'm suffering, but like I'm suffering internally. And so Emma, I think, quizzically considers this. I don't remember the exact line, but it's it's really well done. And so after that, once you get the reveal of Jane Fairfax's engaged to church, like that, 
all comes in together of like, oh, clearly she was really suffering because she can't say anything and she's behind the scene, you know, watching all this stuff happen between Frank and Emma. But yeah, what is it just me that I forget about that? I'm sure because you're the seasoned person, you you know all that just like I would know everything with uh, Jane Eyre coming through. But just what is your sense of that whole engagement and those two characters and Jane in general? Jane is a fascinating character because she in every other Jane Austen movie, she would be the heroine. She's poor. She has to marry a rich man, you know, who is, you know, seen as above her. But she has a moral character. She's very accomplished. She has all these skills and intelligence. And uh, she she would be the hero, but she's not. Emma's the hero. So. I, I thought that it was incredibly amusing just how much Emma and Jane didn't like each other in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Jane just walks by her and says, I think I can remember the music. And then just launches into this Beethoven uh, piece that's so showy and, and flashy. And I thought that was hilarious. Um, I do always look for that those co- moments of connection. And I feel like... One of the few weaknesses of this film is is, is Frank. Uh, I don't think he was particularly memorable in this one. He's just kind of there. Um, so while he's important for the plot, I didn't really get engaged in that relationship where I have in other versions. So the uh, the Kate Beckinsale one has Olivia Williams as Jane Fairfax, and she's my favorite Jane Fairfax. She's oh. just a phenomenal actress. Yeah, and they they give several scenes where they really give you clues about the relationship. And if you go back, you can start to see those stolen moments between Jane and Frank. And so that relationship is, I think the most interesting in this one. Um, you can see the little bits, but it's not, they, they don't really layer in extra moments to show that they're trying to hide their affection. They just sort of um, have everything really below the surface. So I don't know if I'm ever surprised anymore about it, but um, I would say that it's it's a they're fun, really rich characters that add to the the plot and Emma's development. I didn't like this particular Frank Churchill. Well, maybe actually that was the point to to not really like him. But the actor who plays him played Kurrigan or Kurrigan and Anatole Kurrigan in War and Peace in a recent adaptation the BBC did that was six episodes long. And so that character is terrible over there. And so once I saw his face, I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to like you, <laughs> which I think is fine. We we want to be more on nightly side anyways. Um, Was that yeah, the one with I, Lily James? It is that one. Yes. OK. I only saw the yeah. first episode of that. So. OK. Yeah. I just re well, I just read it for the first time in this whole epi- uh, pandemic thing. So um, now I'm like more in tuned with the characters. But after I think I was reading it. And then I watched Emma, so it was kind of clear in my mind of who this guy was. Um, I'm not sure. I I don't have anything else. Are there any other uh, parts or portions of this adaptation you'd like to talk about? Well, I think I I would like to highlight um, there is so much humor. You have Frank Churchill swinging Harriet around and almost hitting people. So there's that (laughs) hilariousness. But I also, you mentioned the dance, and I thought there's so much passion between Emma and Knightley there. Uh, my brother, who saw it with me the second time, said, there's some serious going to make out later in the movie vibes there. <laughs> and I thought that was very appropriate because that's exactly what they do. Um, this one, it just 
it really gets that romance between Emma and Mr. Knightley. And I think that was really satisfying because of their flaws, but then their, their journeys to becoming better people. Does her nose bleed in the novel during the no. proposal? Okay. It, no. Has it ever bled in any other adaptations? No, that's that's one of the very distinct okay. fresh takes that they added. <laughs> I guess <laughs> but she's, I think it worked her, pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, that scene I think also it's got the heightened romance, but there's also like heightened comedy there too, without it being slapstick. Yeah. But just like what's being said, how the actors are engaging with each other, I really thought that that was a unique scene as well. And for once, you know, she. Uh, she, I think, takes ownership of what she... She starts to grow into, for me, a better character, especially when she kind of apologizes to uh, Mrs. Bates in giving that fruit basket and, and asks about Jane Fairfax. And then when she's the one to go up and, and basically get um, her friend re proposed to, <laughs> it was great to see her take that ownership, I thought. Yeah, I thought that was a very nice uh, theme. Although, I think in the novel, there was... I mean, Jane Austen was writing from the class structure of the Regency period. So I don't mm. think she could have written that particular way. But she does write a reconciliation, a coming back together of Emma and Harriet, which I think the adaptation is, is bringing from. Mm -hmm. So two thumbs up from you? Oh, yes. All the thumbs and I you've have. <laughs> and you've already pre-ordered it. Is that true? Um, I haven't yet because of the whole Amazon situation and everything being yeah. locked down. So I don't know if I want to try and run out to the store and get it or if I want to order it from Amazon. But I will absolutely be getting it as soon as I can. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, before I leave you, this would be your chance if you would like to talk about Huntress's portrayal in the Birds of Prey film that has recently come out. Because I think you've been itching to talk about that. <laughs> oh yes, uh, Huntress being my second favorite character, um, I was I was actually really pleased with her portrayal. I wasn't the biggest fan of the film itself, um, just because I'm not a big Harley Quinn fan. But I thought that the the moments that Huntress had, particularly her backstory and then her training, and then when she appears as this you know lethal vigilante with with arrows. Uh, and she she's very cool, but she's also very isolated. I like the humor that they played up with her trying to practice her catchphrases. I thought that was very appropriate because she's always been a very cool, very competent character, but she's also never been good at connecting with other people. So I thought that was a really good way to, to dramatize that. And um, the backstory in particular really, you know, I just flashed back to the Greg Rucka cry for blood um, miniseries that I think is just her best origin. And so I, before I saw the film, I thought that clearly these people have only ever read Harley Quinn comics. Um, they've never read a single Huntress or Birds of Prey or Gotham Central or any of these comics. And I think I was wrong. I think they have read other comics. I don't think they've really captured the Birds of Prey comics, mm. um, but I think they have captured... Uh, Black Canary and Huntress pretty well. And I was very pleased with Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress. I think she's actually the one character that, well, besides Cassandra Kane, I guess we don't talk about her in Donovan's presence. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> oh. <I> th <laughs> 
the the Huntress character, it was just interesting. Like I wasn't expecting it. I totally I loved just because I had recently read and reviewed that comic, uh, Cry for Blood. I loved that they did that backstory to her, but she just seemed. I don't know. Her personality was not what I had expected uh, when I think of Helena Bertinelli. So that's one that when I see it again, because I, I do want to see it again, I think I'll, I'll try to work out for myself. I do really like the actress, and I thought it was funny that she was trying to come up with catchphrases or you know her own name or trying to get her name out, but people weren't allowing her to. But uh, it was just a little more um, humorous than I would have expected. But I wonder if it's because Black Canary had very little humor without, with the exception of like kind of biting or sardonic humor. So I wonder if all that went to her and they didn't want multiple serious characters and that's why they lightened Huntress a bit. I'm not sure. I think that's also because Harley Quinn herself is such a character of humor that you have to have the other characters (laughs) match her. And I think you're right that if you had both Huntress and Black Canary being like super dramatic, super serious characters, you would have some difficulty distinguishing them. I mean, obviously, the actresses are going to bring their own personality to it. But in terms of those sections of the film, how they feel to the viewer, they wanted to give different tones. And they didn't want both of those tones to be the serious. So they they gave her that (laughs) awkwardness. And I thought the awkwardness was really fun because I think a lot of Huntress's violence comes from that deep loneliness, that deep lack of connection. Um, and it's one of the reasons I'm so excited for you to get to the Gail Simone things, because that is really her her through line is that that connection to others and that failure to connect that Gail Simone just writes so well in The Birds of Prey. Well, I can't wait, but I think it's a while. Yeah, uh, yeah when is her first issue? 30 more issues or something. Oh, OK. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it wouldn't be so bad if I didn't have all these other things I have to get through, too, simultaneously. So, yeah. Well, Ian, thanks so much for coming on and chatting some Jane Austen and Emma and a little bit of Birds of Prey. Yeah, well, I'm really glad we could uh, get together to do this. Uh, I, Of course, I'm a longtime listener, and I uh, very much appreciate your literature recommendations. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. Yeah, so this is kind of that uh, It's a little side dish to my literature recommendations, which is great. Where can people, because I know they can, where can people find you and support you? Well, I'm on the Batman Universe. I uh, am one of the hosts of the Batman Universe comic podcast, and I write reviews. I'm currently writing reviews of Batgirl, which Stella and I both uh, have expressed (laughs) our opinions about. Um, I'm on Twitter as IBM Miller. And I mostly tweet about my favorite character there, Stephanie Brown. So if you are a fan of Stephanie Brown, join me on Twitter. And what are you currently doing with Stephanie Brown? I'm rereading her Batgirl series because we're not getting any new comics for at least a couple of weeks and probably longer. I thought now is a good time to reread her Batgirl series. So I will be tweeting about that and you can join <laughs> me and tell me how much she is awesome and how great she Barbara sure Gordon is. is there. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite, if not favorite, runs of Batgirl. And that was when I said a uh, sacrilegious thing, I suppose, in the eyes of Barbara Gordon fans, that I think Stephanie Brown is actually my favorite Batgirl, while Barbara Gordon is my, you know, favorite character, period. But yeah, it's a great run. I remember really wanting Detective Nick and uh, Barbara to get together and all the waffles. I mean, I remember that so clearly. It's a great time to read that because I think it'll bring a lot of joy to, to you as well as other people who read along with you. That's my hope. 
<laughs> okay, well, thanks again for coming on here. Thank you, Stella. 